Before we begin, the first You, Me, Them, Everybody Live in nearly 500 days is Friday, July 2nd, 2021 at the Wonderland Ballroom in Washington, D.C. Allison Lane will be there. Haywood Turnipsey Jr. will be there. Kate Flaherty will be there. Matthias will be there. Rosie will be there. It's going to be a good show. If not, there will be a show in August, and that's a very nice thing. Our first Chicago show back is in July as well. All of this info is available at you, me, them, everybody.com. Here's the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome to You, Me, Them, Everybody. My name is Brandon Weatherby. This episode is sort of an explanation of why there haven't been so many episodes in this here podcast feed. We launched a magazine on June 16th, 2021. It's called Recommend If You Like. The URL is recommendifyoulike.com or an easier one is R-I-Y-L-Mag. And what I wanted to do was speak with the first 10 contributors, the first 10 writers to the site that aren't me. So that's what this show is. It's it's a long show. Some of these conversations are as short as four minutes. Some of them hit 20. And there'll be a little preface before each piece because each person that is involved in this project is someone that I know and I like. And if you're listening to this, I think you will know and like them as well. So that's what I've been doing. It's called Recommend If You Like. The social media handles are R-I-Y-L-Mag on everything. If you have signed up for this mailing list, you might have known about it. It's going well. We're based in D.C., but the content is for people that are able to read English or are very comfortable with Google Translate. So here we go. The first 10 writers, that's what this show is. Those (laughs) will go from here. It's a long one. Uh, If you want to skip to anyone's individual uh, segment of the show. It's in the podcast description to make it easier. If not, listen to the whole thing. Consider it like coming to my house and hanging out with these people. That's the goal of both the magazine and this episode of You, Me, Them, Everybody. So we're going to uh, begin with uh, Afridi Banquala. Afridi is, is a wonderful writer. I'm going to say that about pretty much everyone, uh, except one person that isn't technically a writer. She is. doesn't matter. Uh, Afridi wrote about Riley Knox, a Beyonce impersonator. So this conversation is a little bit about her interview with Riley, a little bit about the editing process, and a lot about Drag Race. You were one of the first people I asked to do this. I'm very glad that you're a part of this. Why did you want to write about Riley Knox? Um, I've been obsessed with her for like 10 years now. Like she was probably one of the first like nightlife i don't want to call her i mean she's not a drag queen she's a trans woman beyonce impersonator but she started in drag spaces so she was the first really one of the first nightlife like queer nightlife performers i ever saw live um at town when i was like 18 um and i've like just watched her grow since then and she's so meticulous about her work and so incredible um that's why you mentioned town and in a previous life you wrote a a really great i guess obituary about town and, and what it meant to you has there been a space to replace town in dc yeah no okay is that one of the reasons why you're about to leave dc no okay i like dc I love DC. Um, There's cool stuff happening in DC still. Honestly, I don't know. Yeah, there's cool stuff happening in DC. Ariel Zatina, who's this um, 
uh, DJ from Chicago. She like had a residency at Smart Bar. She's coming to DC on July 10th, actually. So I'm like, ex- she does a lot of stuff here and there's other cool DJs and stuff that. It's cool that you mentioned how DC is cool. And you mentioned one night that a DJ from Chicago <laughs> is coming to DC right, and that's what's right. making DC cool. <laughs> No, no, but there's cool events. Okay. <laughs> Madison Moore is doing a residency stuff. I don't know. <laughs> Do you think that seeing these performers when you saw these performers has shaped your life? Definitely. <laughs> but we should reveal I'm 38. You are not. No, <laughs> I'm 24. You're 24. And I met you when you were what, 20? Something like that? 21. 21. Okay. Yeah. So I, you're under 25. You're a... <laughs> So it's weird to say you're a new person, but like we're, we're literally different generations here. Yeah, no, for sure. But we've been consuming very similar media for, I'm guessing the last decade. Mm-hmm. When did yeah. this stuff get on your radar? Oh my when God. I say I this stuff, I mean the art forms of which you are writing about this DJ from Chicago, these Beyonce perform, uh, certain impersonators, these uh, drag queens. When did this enter your orbit? Definitely different stages, right? Like, I didn't care about DJs when I was in, like, ninth grade, mm-hmm. but I started watching Drag Race when I was in ninth grade. So, it happened gradually. Okay. Yeah. So, I guess the bigger question is, how has Drag Race shaped your life? Oh, my God. So much. It's crazy. I don't even watch Drag Race anymore. But... <laughs> <laughs> because you refuse to get Paramount Plus? Like, why are you not watching it's arguably so... the most influential reality show these days it's just so like i don't know contrived i hate the challenges it's just it feels so much about like selling the queens selling themselves now and i get it but it's just kind of irritating to me i guess um and like i just feel like the writers have gotten so bad or something none of the challenges are interesting to me but Drag Race shaped my life. I I mean, I'm literally going to, I'm leaving DC, not because there's nothing like town, but because I'm doing a master's degree in performance studies. So, I mean, quite literally, it's like shaped what I want to study, which is performance um, and like not theater, like, like lowbrow performance, nightlife performance. Do you think that these labels will ever be shaken? I also use the highbrow, lowbrow stuff, and it really bothers me. And in a similar way, what made me stop using highbrow versus lowbrow was when the Ultimate Warrior died. Now, the Ultimate Warrior was a professional wrestler and um, in real life, a horrible human being. Um, I do not agree with him politically in any way whatsoever. That being said, when I was like eight years old, huge impact on my life, right? So when this dude died, it made me realize like I negated that whole part of me because I was like, this is stupid. I don't want to be associated with things that some people might consider white trash and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And I do believe that with the normalization of shows like Drag Race with WWE being on Peacock with this mixture of, I mean, even Top Chef being on the same network as like... (laughs) below deck like these things matter highbrow and lowbrow can mix in a beautiful way i wonder if these tags will ever go away because it seems that with the progression of lgbtq rights we are getting less and less of an understanding of socioeconomic differences does this make sense do you understand where i'm going here yeah i do so when you say lowbrow versus just 
theater as a whole, do you see those things fading away? Or are there going to be highbrow queens like your Sasha Valore and your low rent queens who I happen to probably like even more? Uh, me too. Uh, me too. <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, I like, I don't know if I see, if I know about whether or not they're going to go away, but I like them. I like leaning into them. I like that I like lowbrow things. It mm -hmm. feels right to me to say that um, and like lean into that and embrace that instead of being like, oh, we shouldn't call them that because they're just as good as, um, you know, highbrow things. Mm -hmm. Like they can be just as good while still like embracing their cheapness or their, I don't know. It's what, funny that know. that's your answer yet you dislike the challenge that's on every single season of Drag Race, which is when they have to make something out of trash. No, no, no. I love that. That's okay. my favorite challenge. What I don't like is when they have to do these absurd like musical numbers about selling pharmacy drugs or something. Oh, I love those. I'm so <laughs> excited for the fracking musical when, when they just sing about how RuPaul's made her millions from fracking. Literally. <laughs> um, what do you want to do next for the site? Because um, in my ideal world, you're on this page at least once every two weeks throughout grad school, throughout the rest of your life, as long as you're willing to accept a small pittance of pay. <laughs> no, I would love that. Um, well, I want to talk to a real housewife of Potomac because that's coming up. But I also, I walk my dog with my neighbor um, every day and he has children who are my age. So he's like much older than me. Mm -hmm. He has a friend who is apparently this like Barbie consultant and like has like a shrine to barbie in her house and like collects tons and tons of barbies and are your is your neighbor trixie mattel <laughs> well this is my neighbor's friend but quite possibly um i want to interview her she's apparently like also really into formula one or something oh i want to like... yes please do this that's awesome <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the reason why I'm, I'm talking to everybody that's part of this thing and i just want to say thank you uh, i love yeah. what you did I, I hope you continue to do it uh, if it wasn't yeah. obvious, you have at this point still the most words on the website. Uh, <laughs> in no way will I ever complain about editing something down from 10 pages. And I want to thank you for doing that. It yeah. makes my life a lot easier. Yeah, no. Um, I mean, by the end of it, I was like, it should still be shorter, but I don't know what else to cut. So, <laughs> If you're interested in reading this piece or any of the pieces in this episode that are discussed, they're in this podcast description, and they're all available on riylmag.com. Moving on, Lola McGrath wrote about wrestling, specifically writing about independent wrestling and taking to taking your family there as a uh, post-COVID slash end-of-COVID activity. Uh, things are happening. Uh, things are coming back. It's completely up to you if you're comfortable doing that. Uh, yeah, I don't know your level of comfort, and you don't need to know mine, but... Here, I guess you, if you want to know, you could ask. That's fine. It doesn't matter. Lolo wrote about wrestling, so we talk a lot about wrestling. She's been on this show before, and guess what we talked about then? Here's us talking about wrestling now. I'm very glad that you were able to be on the site on day one, so thank you for writing your piece. Yes, you're very welcome. Thank you for having me. Okay, anytime. Um, <laughs> you wrote about professional wrestling. We both love professional wrestling. Is there one aspect of professional wrestling that should stick around from the last 15 months that wasn't there before? Ooh. 
All right. Of course, you know, all of this is is up up for opinion and debate, blah, 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 blah. But I feel like the last 15 months gave us a kind of long term storytelling in the indie wrestling scene that is um, at least far more widespread than it used to be. Um, I feel like all over, not I feel like, but I've seen all over the United States now, um, all of these indies that had maybe been a bit newer on the scene. They'd been only around for a few years before the pandemic took effect. So they hadn't really gotten gotten their voice or developed their brand yet. Um, the last 15 months really brought some cool stuff out of them that I hadn't expected to see quite yet. So yeah, there is so much storytelling happening between wrestlers now. There are feuds that have lasted a lot longer than what I would typically anticipate them lasting in a in, in the indie circuit. Um, and I don't know, I think just from being inside and being online all the time, everyone is just extra committed to their roles. <laughs> so you're literally saying people now know the role. Yeah. Yeah, cool. that's actually a good way to put it. I mean, folks had so much time to start developing um, their technique when it comes to promos and characterization and all of these things that, you know, once you strip away the wrestling itself, of course, the wrestling itself is the most important part. But what other what other kind of story are you trying to tell? And what kind of person are you trying to be while you tell it? Uh, all this time for introspection and to have so many um, pre taped shows that really depended on wrestlers recording promos and doing a lot of stuff online with each other to build that hype. Uh, yeah, I think there, there are people who are walking with the kind of confidence now that they definitely did not have 15 months ago. And I don't know that that would have happened in a completely normal uh, wrestling environment. You mentioned um, a, a lot of different promotions in your piece. And one of the piece, one of the places you mentioned is based out of, I want to say, Oakland or the, at least the Bay Area. And yeah, Hoodslam. they appear to be not thriving in the same way as others because they were they were an established entity and they obviously like most everyone else shifted to online only but how do you see places that aren't new that have that track record um do you think that they'll lean back into just pure live events or will this long long form maybe digital only storytelling continue to be relevant in this world yeah, you know, Hoodslam was and is pretty dependent on their live events, but I think that what is going to make them survive and thrive beyond the next few years, where I think you'll see a lot of other indies start to um, lose relevancy or just drop out of the scene completely, is the there, there's Hoodslam has a few things going for them. Um, one, you can smoke weed at their shows, so that <laughs> that is a that is a huge. Um, Hold on, really quick. You yeah. can smoke weed anywhere. You might not be encouraged to do it, but the outside that's... does exist. I don't remember the last time where that's been a pro or a con. You could do it anywhere. No, I'm talking about at the show itself. No, I get that. But also, yeah. no, once again, I mean, in the last good, decade, but... you can do that everywhere. That's true. But when remember how many indie events happen at like the American... like foreign legion or sure. like knights of columbus houses where, and that's what i'm saying and that's why okay oh, i gotta go outside for a minute this sucks like you the outside still exists 
That's true. But I don't know. They they just have a certain kind of fun fun vibe that is definitely aided by where they are and what the what the rules are. Sure. And secondly, um, you know, the fact that they are owned and run by a trans woman and have before a lot of like brands that I associate with even existed, um, was already stacking the card in a really diverse way. I mean, what you're, what I, I think you're going to see in the next few years when it comes to indies that start dropping off, it's a, uh, it's like it is anywhere else. If you're not really keeping up with the time, and with your developing market and a scene that is expanding to include a lot more people than what some of these cards would typically reflect, um, you know, it's uh, that's. That's how you're going to have to survive if you want to be if you want to be relevant. You say the word brand like it's not a bad thing. And I don't know if this is a generational thing or if this <laughs> is a wrestling thing. But even if it's a wrestling thing, I don't like it. And I can tell you for sure generationally, I don't like it. But I don't necessarily think I'm in the right here. I think that just because something feels <laughs> dirty and wrong to me, it could also just mean I'm too old. It's uh, it's definitely an industry thing. I mean, we use it as shorthand in terms of like, you know, the WWE has different brands. Okay. Okay. That's, stop. But, but yes. by using that term to me, you're saying that that makes sense. Well, it does in this weird world where nothing makes sense <laughs> at all. Like wh where in wrestling does anything really, uh, make that <laughs> if you think too hard about any of it it makes no sense i i agree with you <laughs> but when i think that it's easy for people to get away with stuff when they use words like brand because like why would we need to unionize this is a brand it's not a sport it's not it's not an established thing that we all use we're gonna make up this own term so we don't have to treat these people like they're actual workers and we're gonna use the word worker completely different than any other industry Man, it sounds like you need to start running shows in DC. <laughs> no, thank you. You sound right. <laughs> no, you're you you bring up a good point. Um, I don't really have to rationalize anything in my brain because I don't know. There's nothing to rationalize there, anyways. But when I say brand in terms of wrestling, I I mean it completely differently than what I mean when I talk about like Lacroix mm -hmm, or mm -hmm. Chiquitos Pizza Rolls. Um, and it is because we all got into that habit with the WWE, but. You know, I, I think we can get around to changing those those kinds of more nuanced and um, mature discussion aspects, uh, deeper discussions, if you will, about the industry. Uh, once we get all the like the total creepos and terrible people <laughs> out of the locker room to the uh, to the best of our ability, because uh, there's. You, you, you know this. I'm sure by now, if your listeners have heard me a few times, they know this. We got a lot of cleaning up to do. <laughs> well, it's interesting that we've talked off mic about this, and it's not in the piece at all, but it, I don't think it's a controversial statement to say that the best long-form storytelling in pro wrestling over the last probably like 20 years is someone that we no longer talk about because he was outed as a creep. Yeah. So I guess yeah. if you want to figure out who that is, just DM me or, or Lolo. I mean, there's <laughs> there. You, you just told a story that's been repeated again and again and again and again. You know, it's there's there's something that we, we don't have to get into it, but there's something special about wrestling and special in a very bad way that I uh, think allows things to um, not just 
fall through the cracks but happen in plain sight uh and get totally ignored in a way that i i think other industries have done a slightly better job of keeping up with here's what that that's where we will respectfully disagree because i don't believe that what wrestling has and, and is going through is any different than literally any other group and stop right there and i think that what's going to change anything is just the more normalization of um of being able to talk about things head on, which is incredibly difficult and will most likely never happen in either of our lifetimes. But um, how is what is going on in professional wrestling any different than the Catholic church or with the boy Scouts or with Penn state football or with literally name an organization, you can insert it here and they're the exact same problems. And these problems are not unique in any way, but Wrestling is one of the wrestling and the Catholic Church. They have their own terms for things, so it's mm-hmm. very difficult to say to a normal person, "Oh well, this is actually what's happening," because we're talking around it instead of blatantly saying this is what's happening. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, I think that we actually—I don't think we disagree as much as you might think we do. I mean, the causation and why a problem continues, I think we can both agree is going to be somewhat unique uh between you know from organization to organization like you know you just brought up yes wrestling has this secretive terminology where it it makes it very very easy for people to turn around and say oh well you know that that was that wasn't real that was just kind of part of an act and Mm -hmm. you you know you, you bring up a good point that yes this stuff absolutely happens everywhere i'll say what in my opinion makes wrestling slightly unique is that um there is, you know, I've been I've been privy to a few entertainment scenes in my lifetime so far, but um, wrestling's definitely the one I'm the deepest into. There's kind of a lack of social justice, uh, job justice, 101 stuff that um, exists in the scene as a whole. Like a lot of discussions that I remember seeing happening on you know, tumblr.com 10 years ago that got very, very normalized in more highbrow kind of, uh, kind of associations of certain art forms or whatever. Um, you know, even though there might've not been that much improvement in, in a literary scene or a music scene or a theater scene, there's a, people at least kind of know the, the ground terms. They know the terminology, they know the norms, they know what should be going on. Um, wrestling is just so weird and, and carny and has isolated itself so much, you know, people who get deeply, deeply, deeply into the wrestling industry, that's, that's, that's it. They kind of start to live the gimmick a little bit and, and get a little bit wonky in that way. There, there were discussions happening last year during speaking out about consent and just the most, the most basic 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 ideas that had been not just floating around but have been normalized in other scenes are still a really foreign concept in wrestling um and yeah i mean i chalk that up to again like you said being a weird scene where people have their own terminology Mm -hmm. um it is not a highbrow art form 
there's a lot of uh, <laughs> there's a lot of pride in some wrestling scenes that comes with not being well read at all. Um, but no, no, you're you're definitely right, and we both agree that every entertainment scene has shitty, terrible, creepy things happening on a far more regular basis than they should be. But uh, you know, the reason that wrestling is suffering from it, I I would argue, is is pretty unique. Sophie Lacido Johnson is an amazing artist. She has a book. She's got another book coming out. You could see her art in The New Yorker. So uh, when this site first came into my head years ago, uh, one of the people I always wanted to have on the page as soon as possible was Sophie. So I'm very glad that she let me run some of her stuff on day one of the site. You could find that on riylmag.com. This is the... uh, loudest i get during the uh 10 interviews that i do during this episode uh (laughs) we talk about most everything that doesn't have to do with her art we talk about uh well she number one she's pregnant so she's having a covid baby she found out she was pregnant between her first and second shot and yeah the baby is due at the end of october so there's a lot of talk about pregnancy and about dealing with your partner during pregnancy I really like Sophie. I really like all of our conversations. You can hear all of them in the You, Me, Them, Everybody podcast feed. But this one, this is the most current one, so it's worth your time. Anyways, here's Sophie. I wanted to talk to everyone that was part of the first day of the site, and you you let me run some of yours on the first day of the site, and I want to say thank you for allowing me to do that because yours, uh, your art is something that I've, something is something I've enjoyed for a very long time, and, um, in a weird way, whenever you're in something like The New Yorker or you have a new book getting published, it's sort of validating to me because like, oh, yeah, I was already a fan. They're just catching up. <laughs> um, well, I feel that way about you, too. Um, yeah, that hasn't also... happened to me, though. The New Yorker is not written about me or <laughs> my second book I... is not about to be published. So it's, it's uh... slow. It's slow growth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, congratulations on the site. It's so exciting. Mm-hmm. Exciting. Mm-hmm. Well, you're working on way more exciting things because you are growing a human. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I don't. Yeah, it's exciting. Do you do you ever bristle? Are there words that make you bristle? Exciting makes me bristle. Um, I, I always I always struggle with the word exciting. I'm not sure that I ever have felt excited about anything ever. <laughs> Oh, I'm excited uh, all the time about a lot of different things. Really? So How does, is that? Is that nice? It's very nice. It's great. Uh, oh, that's great. <laughs> uh, words Terrific. that make me, it doesn't make me bristle, but uh, it puts me on alert are magic. <laughs> like used like in a, what kind of context? Whenever I hear the word magic being used, not when it comes to like sleight of hand, that's fine. But what they do is magic or that was magic. To uh, me, that's someone saying like, I'm not going to pay that person. <laughs> <laughs> or I'm not going to give that person actually financial credit because what they've uh-huh. done is magical. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, that's really, really, really um, insightful. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Truly. Truly. Uh, thank you. I'll carry that with me. You know, that's for- not good. <laughs> No, it's it is. It's I don't good. Want to put it's that good. on you. No, it's good. It's good. I like that. I mean, I think I think that you're right. I think the magic has also reached um, reached its its end. You know, <laughs> it's time for we need some new words now. <laughs> new words now is yeah 
Is that a good name for a title of a book or a bad title? <laughs> I don't know, but um, but you can't take it, so that's fine. I don't think anyone yeah. cares what I do. Um, <laughs> how are you feeling right now? It, we are currently talking on June twenty fourth. Uh, it is the summer. You work in theory with children. Um, <laughs> How, how I haven't I just had to change it realized I have on my calendar says that it's June 23rd but now it's you're right it's world UFO day oh is Did it you know that yeah now you know thank you so much you're welcome um how am I feeling I work with children uh my children that I work with finished school on uh Tuesday okay yeah is um yeah so like how does that transition feel right now um i like my job a lot and um i and summer vacations also really fun i i don't transition well i kind of uh i kind of need a lot of time (laughs) and just like processing space so i kind of miss i got to go back into school you know in the second semester um because uh I guess COVID like ended <laughs> and um, and it was really nice to like see the kids, but it sort of, I, then it was so short lived mm-hmm. and then they were gone and I only ever got to see two at a time and they had masks on. And so, um, so yeah, the transition is, is fine. I feel like everything is still really busy. I'd love it to slow down. Um, and I hope that that will happen soon. There's just a lot going on right now, but oh my God. Oh my God. I'm so sorry. I am so sorry. My fucking cat just (laughs) walked all over my meticulously organized jars of pens and painting supplies and knocked them to the ground. So what you're saying is, is that... your cat is not supportive of how you make your livelihood. I can't believe, honestly, like he is in my life all the time. These have been here forever. Why he chose this moment to act out, I can't tell you. I wonder if but, I triggered um, him. You might, maybe. Anyway, I'm really sorry about that. It's that was not... incredibly rude. I mean, he'll be punished later. Well, thank you for uh, telling me how you punish your cat. Uh, if, <laughs> if I knew that there was no comeuppance for the cat, I would just have left disappointed. But now I feel satiated. <laughs> Good. I'm glad. Yeah, no, he's he'll get a spanking probably. <laughs> uh, can we talk about COVID? Well, sure. Yeah. Do you want to? Yeah. So you got vaccinated. Yeah really early did you get vaccinated before you were pregnant no okay did Wait, you worry about I was preg- no i didn't no okay. i didn't um i think i got my first shot before i knew that i was pregnant okay and then between shot one and shot two um i got i found out i was pregnant and then is it fair to say that you have a covid baby <laughs> What is that? I don't know. I'm just talking. A COVID baby is is? when you get pregnant or you find out you were pregnant between the first and second shot. Therefore, you (laughs) can't have a Johnson & Johnson COVID baby. (laughs) Well, then, yeah, by definition, that's the definition. Then by definition, yeah, I did have, I am having one. Well, congratulations. (laughs) 
Thank you. No, I didn't. It didn't like strike me to be worried about anything about the vaccine at any point. Um, and I think I would have gotten the Johnson and Johnson one if I could have picked because I don't love to go out of my house. So having to do that twice was a lot of work. Um, it all I just was like, get that shot in my arm as soon as you can. Yeah. And then I think the second time, like because they ask you if you're pregnant. Um, and I got to say yes, which was so cool because I never get to say mm-hmm. yes to a pharmacist who's asking me questions. Um, Hold on really quick. I, I want you to know that's a good thing. Oh, I know. But like, you know, there's something that's sort of exciting. Like what's good. This is going to be different. Like what's going to happen that's different, you know? <laughs> yeah. Go tell that to someone that's living through, I don't know, AIDS or cancer or HPV or just any of it. Yet. They didn't ask me about those. They ask you, like, if you've traveled outside the country, you know, they like they ask you. You're right. I'm not trying to be insensitive. I just was like, oh, this is exciting. I get to find out what what is going to happen if I like say yes to one of these questions. And And, um, yeah, what happened? He was like, "Okay, just so you know, I read in a medical journal that, you know, the immunity passes on to the baby. And I was like, "Okay." he really seemed to like be trying to like convince me to get a vaccine that I already was really fine to get. Um, but that was good. And, um, it, yeah, it just didn't, it, it didn't worry me. I guess there's like not really a precedent for women getting vaccinated and from, for something and then not being able to, uh, you know, give birth healthily. Yeah. But I know there's not a precedent for COVID, and maybe I should have been more frightened. I don't know. But no, I don't, I'm not. I, I don't think so. Do you have anybody in your life that will not get the vaccine? I don't have anybody in my life. My life is full. Of, but you know, remember when Trump won and everyone was like, oh, I've had to like unfollow people on social media. Mm-hmm. Like I have to block my relatives. I just don't, I, I didn't have anyone like that. I don't think I know personally anybody who voted for trump um because i grew up in portland oregon and so everyone is from portland (laughs) and um but my roommates who are from rural midwest um they're they're some of their family members won't get vaccinated and um and i you know i like i hear it tangentially but it not in a way that it affects excuse me affects me uh directly everyone i know was like yes vaccine let's do it let's do it although no i had a i had like a hippy dippy friend in california who was also pregnant who was sort of like i don't know yeah. should i get it um but she ultimately did and uh and i think it was the right thing i mean now we get to hug i love hugging yeah Here's uh, the thing. What, i'm pro vaccine get- but i'm anti-hugging so like i don't know where i stand on this well, you can just stand near people closer than six feet now. <laughs> Once again, I'm not a fan of that, so. <laughs> That's not hugging. You can, like, you don't like to stand three feet from someone. I like to stand talk? next to my wife and child, and then everyone else has to look at me while they sit down and I'm on a stage and I yell at them. You like to, like, go to a sports game, though, right? I do like to like... go to a sports game, but I like to be on the field in a corner alone <laughs> or in the press box. All right, you you like you like your your space. Yeah, no um, I have an, I have like I have a cat update that I so 
Um, I really don't. I have a big problem with houseflies. There is one like right in front of me. My cat sees it. He's also right in front of me. And I think it would be great if he could kill this fly. But who knows what kind of uproar will ah, take place if he tries to do it. Anyway, this is real drama happening in real time. I couldn't have predicted this or planned it. I'm. Uh, you sound really good, like happy. <laughs> I, it's because I'm talking to you. I always feel happy when I'm talking to you. It's so hard to tell if you're being sincere. I'm right not. I am, I am being like one hundred. I am being one hundred percent sincere. Every time I've had the opportunity to talk to you, um, you make people happy. You ask good questions and you're nice, and it just makes it's nice. It's easy to be happy. I met you because at the time you were doing stand-up and I saw that you were recently doing a performance of some sort again and it, it did appear to be not stand-up. <laughs> so I went to art school, you know, and art school comes with like this sort of built-in um, sketch comedy, which is like performance and <laughs> readings. And... Um, and I occasionally get asked by very nice people to like do one of those. And they're very fun because they're ridiculous. Um, and and this one was was great. Truly the poets or who were reading were wonderful. There's music and there's cake. There's cake. Um, but it's like it, in my mind, it's stand up adjacent because it's when it's bad, it's very funny but not on purpose. <laughs> Stand-up comedy, when it's bad, it's very un unfunny, um, but not on purpose. So to me, those are nice inverses. <laughs> so was it nice to perform? <laughs> it was amazing. It was really, it really was. Yeah, it was really, really nice. It was nice to like, because uh, an art show or an, I don't know, performance show is, it's never going to be packed. So it's like, you know, whatever 30 people who are really in a good mood to be there at like a bar where I like performance a lot or reading a lot because I know when I get to talk and that I'll get all the attention during that part <laughs> and then um, I can just be quiet for the rest of it and I have like done something social I like to like have directions in terms of what I'm supposed to do around other people you know yeah um so I find I find like any kind of performance to be not. And this one started at 6 p.m., which yeah. was amazing. Yeah, <laughs> like huge. right on time, yeah. started right on time. And they had like good non-alcoholic beer because I'm pregnant like that does it for me. And I got to sit on a chair um, when I wasn't performing and everyone was like had their masks off. And so that was the first time I'd been in sort of a small space with strangers maskless and it sort of felt yeah it felt emotional i was surprised because i i kind of liked quarantine but mm -hmm. it was um it was really really nice and then i got to go home and sleep at like eight are you sleeping about 12 hours a night now no 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 go no no <laughs> no okay <laughs> you're Tanager the one who brought up like... that you're sleeping at eight i was, I was just wondering <laughs> tanager like is on my bladder all the time and so um i have to get up every two hours to pee and then i also am a morning person like a five o'clock person oh, geez. naturally um so 
yeah, I like to go to bed as early as I can, but my Fitbit says I average like five to six hours, which I know is not good. No, that's not. So you're, you're prepared for parenthood. Yeah, I'm, I'm ready. Yeah. You, I mean, if you're, if you're already doing that sleep schedule, yeah, you're fine. You'll be fine. My life is like most of the time pretty chill. So, um, it's okay. It's not like I'm going, my husband's a, like a contractor. He has to get up in the morning and then go do physical labor all day and then come home and go to bed. Um, and I don't have to do that. Most of my life is like crying in bathrooms and like drawing sad girls. Were you written by <laughs> uh, Chuck Klosterman in 1998? Yes. Okay, cool. <laughs> I, I like, I, I just don't, I, I just do like spend so much time crying. I, the, who gets that luxury? That's a huge privilege. Um, so you really do. I, you really are going to miss the pandemic. <laughs> I, th- so I okay. So so I'm so I'm polyamorous, right, and pregnant, which is like a really fun combination of things. That I am saying with sarcasm. And uh, and the world opened up right in the middle of my second trimester, which is like a time that I'm very nesty and wanting to not just like wanting my husband to be around and all of a sudden my brain has turned into like a nuclear family monogamy brain which is apparently normal yeah but um feels really weird (laughs) and broken and so when he's like wanting to go out with now he suddenly can go out with people you know Mm -hmm. so there's more people than ever to go out with (laughs) who have been waiting a year to go out with him and i suddenly am not cool about it i used to be so cool and now I'm like, you know, uppity and and not cool and like, I want you to stay home. And then if you won't stay home, I'll just cry um, alone in the bathtub, uh, which again, privilege. But it, yeah, it's it's really weird timing to for me. I want to be like, I would love to still be have have my husband forced to stay in my house all day. But he's leaving more than he did before the pandemic because there's this like backlog of stuff to do. I wonder how this will shift once uh, the child is here. Right. That's what my that's what like all the therapists keep saying. (laughs) It's like, well, the man doesn't really realize what the baby is until it is outside of the body and once it's there it changes for him and so he is taking advantage of like the last time he has of freedom and then that feels really unfair also because i'm like well i don't yeah i don't have i don't have any freedom (laughs) i'm like tethered to this like creature all the time and he can just like go out and do whatever he wants for as long as he wants with whomever he wants uh, and I feel like I can't. Um, I mean, you can. It's just a really bad idea. And he can, too. Feel, but it's also a really bad idea. I feel like I can't. I, this is I, me I judging your husband right now. <laughs> just don't. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. This is... But, like... And he's been very receptive to it. We've just had to have a lot of conversations about it. He's a very nice, like, receptive person. I, I just understand. I have empathy for how like uh how confusing it is to like be waiting for a year 
he's extroverted. I'm introverted. It's like to be waiting for a year to be spending time with people. And then all of a sudden to have this other thing that's pulling you back. I mean, I feel for him. I, I also am really mean to him because I, um, I'm pregnant. Hear me out. Hear me out. No. I don't care. I don't care how he feels. That's it. You are a part. Are you part of this or not? You Are you on this team or not? This is not new. It doesn't matter if you've never lived it. I didn't live it, but then you know what? You read a book. Read 50 books or 50 books. Just read the books. They'll tell you what's going on. If you don't know, you can ask and then uh, empathize. So stop it. Not you, him. Because an, an empathetic person in this situation would just stop it. I don't care how long you've waited. Yeah, I mean, this I. Is, I'm I so think... judgmental. I, <laughs> I do not apologize <laughs> either. Look, I think he, like, it just didn't. You, you haven't been around a pregnant person until you have. And I think, like, it didn't hit him immediately. Like, he needed some... It's not as though he is arguing with me for the most part. I'm, like, I'm kind of being generous. There's, there are some arguments. But um, he mostly li- is listening to me and, and doing the things I ask him to do. And I have, like, I agree. I have said the things that you were saying um, at him. But... In this moment, I am just trying to acknowledge that he's trying to do his best. And I agree. He's not a reader. Look, I'm really making Luke sound like not as good of a person as he truly is. I like your husband. um, (laughs) I mean, I love him. This has been a really tough transition. I mean, it's like it just is more than you think. TV doesn't make it clear. Uh, Yeah, I didn't say watch a bunch of shows. (laughs) <laughs> you <laughs> but like you're thrown into it suddenly you're pregnant and no you're, like, you're not suddenly you're... pregnant you're in your 30s none of this is sudden <laughs> you're not a <Okay>. teen <laughs> i mean okay i uh i agree with you i'm uh but he did take me to indiana this weekend so he's reverting <laughs> I did it's not just think we would planning. talk about any of this, by the way. <laughs> yeah, it's weird timing. I uh, any, In any case, I brought this up to say I liked the quarantine. I like not being in quarantine. The, quarant- the end of quarantine is coming at an inconvenient time for me personally. <laughs> that was my point. Ian Graham is an old friend. He's been on this show for a long time. You've probably heard him on this show as our house band. You might have heard him from other episodes. Ian uh, is was a professional skateboarder. He has a skateboard company. So obviously, I asked him to write about skateboarding for the launch of the magazine, and he did, and it's very good. But we mostly talk in this episode about uh, property. He is, as of this recording, as of Tuesday, June 29th, he should be closing on a house in Baltimore County. So congratulations to Ian and his wife, Lisa. They are wonderful people. You've seen them both on this show because they're in a band together as well. So anyways... It's a it's a lot about house housing stuff, uh, a little bit about skateboarding, and it's also about buying a house that has a built-in fish tank. I want to thank you for being part of the site on the first day, and you wrote a piece that I think, for better or worse, will be incredibly relevant as long as the earth is spinning. Yeah, yeah, I think that that's, uh, I think it's a good thing for skateboarding, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, the, so, like, I think, yeah. I didn't really think of, by the way, you're in Baltimore right now? I'm in Baltimore right now. And is it a siren? Uh, 
No, that sounds like a drill, maybe. Oh, cool, cool, cool. Yeah, there's uh, street noises, which are going to not be a thing. It, we'll get to that in a minute. I just crazy. I don't want to yeah. stereotype Baltimore. I'd like to apologize to the to the great people of Baltimore. I really like Baltimore. I wasn't trying to say like Baltimore's crime rate or anything like that. I'd literally. Oh no, you you would have been correct. I live like two blocks from uh, at least one hospital, but oh, kind okay. of a whole hospital complex. So we get helicopters and uh, sirens all the time just from ambulances. So. My kid is too young to skateboard. He's almost two, and he's definitely interested in skateboarding. And nice. there's a skate park attached to, like, a very small aspect of the park, uh, attached to, like, a regular playground. Um, Which one? Okay, that does sound... Is that a, still a drill? I can't tell what that is. Okay, that it doesn't matter. I'm so sorry. Track. Tacoma Park Recreation Center. It's like... It's oh, just, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's, like, a super small one here. The point is, mm-hmm. he's gonna want to do this, and I think that what yep. you wrote uh, for the for the page for the magazine is like a wonderful, wonderful starter for someone like me. And then, like three days later, I'm at some rural part of Maryland or Virginia. I don't even in Virginia because my wife is running a race, and I'm watching a dad teach his kid how to skateboard, but he's teaching her how to skateboard longboard style, so he's his foot placements in the wrong place. Oh, and no. so they look up Tony Hockey videos, which is not a thing. That's funny. And yeah. she's wearing Crocs. Like, there's so many things that are in your piece that would have been helpful to these people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it only takes about, like, one time ever working at a skate camp or really just, you know, a summer hanging out at a skate park. And you you see all of the red flags, right? Yeah. Like, like, Crocs... Uh, you know they're they're whatever, but uh, you know they're they're not good skate shoes. They don't offer any kind of support or protection or any of the stuff that you need, like a shoe to do for skateboarding. So this did not come up in the piece, and we we've only joked about this. Mm-hmm. Are you happy that like Jenkos in the '90s are coming back from a like health and wellness perspective of a skateboarder? <laughs> uh, a little bit, yeah. So, um, starting in like 2005 or so, I would say there was a really steep trend toward like away from the big chunky shoes that mm-hmm. people of our age remember as like skate shoes down to basically a van slip on. And there are still shoes now that are still basically just a slip on, maybe with some laces, but it's a piece of rubber and you know, $8 worth of suede. But uh, people started hurting their feet. People didn't like stop going big on stuff because the shoes got skinnier. People just went through shoes faster. Yeah. And then obviously like the recession hit and that really, that really tanked a lot of smaller skateboard companies because where the easiest place for them to to save costs was on materials. And when you save money on materials on shoes, you're mostly talking like whether you're spending, you know, X amount of dollars versus Y amount of dollars on insoles. On the quality of your your midsole and like how good your materials are. So if you you know you 
around that same time you saw like Nike and Adidas entering the market, Nike putting their uh, lunar lawn like running insoles into shoes while all these skater owned brands had to cut all of their technology. So that, that hit a lot of people really hard. And for a long time, there were just a lot of really garbage shoes on the market. Yeah. Uh, there's a, a guy named Corey Duffel who just did an interview talking about how he's had been in knee surgeries and ankle surgeries. Dude's had, he's probably got robot legs at this point, but, um, you know, he's had physical therapists basically come back and say like, yeah, the reason that your, your feet, your knees, whatever are messed up is because you were apparently doing some pretty serious athletic stuff in really bad shoes. And now he's, you know, still paying for it. What are you wearing right now? Not like right now, right I, now, but like, what are you skating in? What shoes? Uh, I'm skating in a, a pair of shoes from a brand called Lakai. Okay. They're a, a skater-owned brand. Uh, they were able to survive that hit in the recession. But um, I don't know. I also use, there's a company out now called Footprint. They make insoles um, that are made out of a really high-density uh impact resistant foam rubber I mean, that's the one you mentioned in the piece correct yes yeah, yeah like, and I, they I don't... didn't know that, that was a thing i didn't because so, it's it sounds like it's like hey hey old man that's friends like actually peers with tony hawk these are good for your feet <laughs> you know what i mean yeah yeah no it's it kind of actually it was how they they framed it at first it was like hey you know like you want to make your legs hurt a little less try putting in some good insoles by the way ours are good here trial uh, it is i don't say i shouldn't say it's weird because it's inevitable that like yeah skateboarders got older why should they stop skating if they don't have to that right. being said you are are you closer to 40 than 30 at this point yep yep i'm 36 do you see an end to this or are you going to try to just go as long as possible i assume it'll stop eventually but i have friends who are in their 60s who still skate so i don't know eventually you know you can't kickflip because you can't jump as high anymore and you know if you've got osteoporosis or something you gotta chill out so you don't break your ankle i wonder if it's gonna get to the level of like you see old dudes in playing like tennis or softball or basketball and they're like amazing and they're just doing like old people stuff that like you don't even consider when you're like 20 or 30 Right. Like, what would well, be the skateboard tricks of the 60 and 70-year-olds that we can't imagine yet? No, they they already exist. They're, they're they old do? tricks. They're called, yeah, they're called slappies, and it uh, basically lets you grind a curb without having to ollie or jump. That's cool. Yeah. So, That's cool. And it's, it's all over the place now because in the pandemic, a bunch of people my age who quit skating after high school or in high school were like, oh, I've got all this time on my hands probably have a kid who's like hey dad i want to learn how to mm -hmm. skateboard since i'm not in school and what do they have to skate oh well we got this curb out front so that's what i'll be doing in like four years yeah i hope so i'll, I'll teach you how to slappy yeah please do how old were you when you started uh i was a late bloomer i started when i was like 15 what's the average age in your experience uh i would say it's probably closer to like eight or nine okay okay so i have a while um i have i've I, I see kids at the skate park who are five or six but i feel like eight or nine is a point where you're like 
a little more like physically in control of your body. Yeah. Do you worry about your time being able to skate? Because when you were 15, you were living in a, is it a very rural or just rural area? Uh, it's pretty rural. Like pretty rural. 20, 20, you live 000. in a very urban area now, but very soon you will be living in a very rural area again. Yep. Does yeah, this, would... is this exciting? Is it scary? Is it just what it is? You've already experienced it. How are, how, how do you feel when it comes to skateboarding and where you're about to move? Um, It's not going to be a huge change. Uh, where I'm moving is only really about a half an hour away from Baltimore. Okay. So it's pretty rural, but I'll be, you know, half an hour from the city. Uh, let's see. I think there are a few skate parks out there, you know, within 15, 20 minutes. Okay. Uh, yeah. I'm, it'll be different because, like, right now I can skate down the street. Like, I can see, you know, out of my window, I can see three or four different skate spots that oh, that's people cool. go to regularly. But, like, you know. When I'm out there, it'll have to be. I don't know, it'll it'll have to be more deliberate. So yeah. now I don't know that that comes with good and bad. You refer to it as you didn't refer to where you're moving in the most glowing terms. I should say. No did did I not? Well, <laughs> you alluded to a voting block that might not align with yours. Uh, oh yeah, I'm yeah. trying to be. It's possible. Possible. Um, well, I'm. I'm moving out of a very blue city into a less blue county. But is it a, still a blue part. county? Yeah, Baltimore County is still, still pretty blue, but it depends on where you go in the county. Now, where are you going in the county? Is that blue at all? Kind of-ish. There's a lot of... It's a weird kind of mix because there's, like, you know, there's real deal, like, farmers out there. But then you also have, like horse people and horse. like in ball like no in in baltimore especially because you're so close to the preakness mm, like yes, yes when yes. you start talking about horse people that can either be like you know someone who's down at the ranch and home store every weekend and you know owns a couple of horses or it can be like oh no they own a team that manages mm -hmm. the horses for you know like so it's yeah, it's this kind of weird mix where it's like kind of country, kind of rural, but also like in pockets of it, very extremely wealthy. Okay. Are you excited? I'm really excited. Uh, we're in sort of the, the bubble space between having all the paperwork signed and actually going to closing so that there's all this stuff that's like, you know, we're right at the end. It's all we're all super stoked, but you know, just have to sit and wait for a couple of days till we can go actually sign the paper. Is it turnkey, or are you going to do anything to the place? We're going to do some stuff. Uh, the previous owner was a, a smoker, and based on the smell, a pretty heavy smoker. So we have some some painting to do. Uh, we're going to tear out some carpet. Nothing too crazy. Okay. So will you be moving in? like soon or what's the timeline like um well we're gonna have to break our lease with our current apartment so we have uh three months basically to get out of the apartment okay so we have we have some space it's not gonna be super crazy we don't have 
honestly a ton of stuff to move. So yeah, it's, it's been weirdly low stress, like with everything that I've heard about how the market's been yeah. the past year with, you know, I've heard horror stories about people trying to buy condos and like a friend of mine was telling me about a condo in Seattle that I think their friend was looking at maybe, but they ended up getting outbid by $200,000. Jesus Christ. Like someone was just like, oh no, here's $2,000 cash because I want this one bedroom condo dude 200,000 yeah 200,000 dollars i said 2000 200,000 yeah, that makes more sense sorry yeah oh, well i'm glad that, that didn't happen to you Thank yeah you for... no we we got stupid lucky it was like first what like the first place on the first day we looked oh really a couple other places and we were like yeah that one looks good though like let's put in an offer on that and they accepted the offer. Like, and the inspection didn't turn up anything weird? Inspection didn't turn up anything weird. I think awesome. we just ended up in like a dumb luck kind of like had the, you know, just everything fell into place for us. Uh, and I think the fact that we're not turned off by like, like I think there's a lot of stuff that people would be like, oh, curb appeal that like yeah. really a lot of people can't get past like, like when we walked in, it's it smelled like someone had been chain smoking cigarettes in there for many years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that's was something that we we're like, okay, that's that probably explains some things, but like it's not a, a deal breaker for us necessarily. Yeah. We didn't find out after until after we made the offer that, or I guess no, we had seen the place, so it wasn't before, wasn't after we made the offer, but um we found out that one of the required inclusions is an aquarium built into the wall. What? Yeah. Uh, I think I sent you the listing, but like, yeah, but there's... I thought that what you, it's an, it's, a, it's, I didn't realize it was built into the wall like that. Yeah. So it's uh there's a bedroom on the other side of the wall and the closet has like a hole cut out of the back of the closet. And then it's framed up like a, you know, like a window frame or something on the, the inside but it's just an aquarium kind of sitting in that closet are you gonna keep fish uh well at least for the generation that currently lives there like we kind of have to that's weird uh, it'll depend on it'll depend on whether we want to keep the fish right like if we're you know we keep we take care of them and whatever and we're like oh no this is this is a neat thing that we like having then you know keep it but you know if so they're the leaving fish the slowly, fish behind yeah they're leaving the fish behind they're also leaving a pool table in the basement okay that's that one's cool but that doesn't require someone going over the house every certain amount of days to feed the fish oh yeah i didn't think about that that's, that's a pain i can't tell if you're but being sarcastic i can't <laughs> kind of but like we were thinking about like you know moving up and work working on stuff on the weekends but i kind of yeah just yeah, so. but you need to feed the fish more than once a weekend. Right, right. Okay, cool. Yeah, I'm glad that you learned that. There's been a lot on my mind. Yeah, there's... Well, I've, no, like, we knew that we would have to feed them regularly. It just hadn't really... Yeah, but they need to get fed like, every day, oh. I think. I think, right? Yeah, I think so. They, I don't know. We're, we're hoping they're going to give us some kind of, like, oh, by the way, for the fish, here's, like, what you need to do. Because, like, so far they haven't. They're just, like, 
Yeah, yeah. Fish are yours. <laughs> Joe McAdam is the guest that has been on this show the most during the pandemic. And Joe McAdam was one of the first people I asked to write for recommend if you like. And as of this recording, Tuesday, June 29th, he has the most pieces on the site that is not me. Uh, he wrote about mustard. Uh, I love it. I love it. Love it so much. He he wrote about the actor that portrayed Jambi, Jambi on Pee Wee's Playhouse, and he wrote about how to improve baseball. There are three very different pieces, and I love all of them. And I'm so glad Joe is part of this, and I'm glad that friends of mine are now texting me about baseball nerds. And it's just a. And if you have no idea what I'm talking about, read the piece. It's it's free. It's great. I love Joe. I love his work. And this has very little to do with either of those things. But this is about um, Joe McAdams Casino Living. I thought I was calling you at your place in Los Angeles, but you are not there. I'm in Highland, California at the Bear Springs Hotel. What? Okay, why? Because I am such a high roller at the, uh, the San Manuel Casino they will send me these promos for free hotel stays Hell and yeah. I never go. And then, and then I finally was like, all right, I'll go. Um, cause it was like, I don't want to go during COVID. That's, sure. you know, <laughs> uh, and I feel now it's like, all right, I'll go. And then, um, it's, I didn't realize this cause it's, um, you know, I'm not here that often, but, uh, the hotel is absolutely not connected to the casino at all. It's three miles away, uh, and so I'm just at a hotel. <laughs> There's no casino at all. Do they um, offer a shuttle? They do, but not now because of COVID. <laughs> uh, so I can't use it. I'd have to drive there myself. So that means I can go, but I'm not like I'm not going to drink at the casino then, which means that I'm just not going to do anything. <laughs> like I'm not going to do any risky games if I'm just like stone cold sober at two no, in the no. afternoon at a casino. Have you ever um, made money yeah. at a casino? Uh, yes, but only because I barely do anything and I'm very conservative. And so I've made, I think in total, like my running lifetime total is mm -hmm. I'm up 300 bucks. That's good. Yeah, not bad. Okay, so how far is this from your house? It is a, should be a two hour drive. It was a four almost four plus hour drive because there was a massive car accident uh in front of me on the way there the entire highway was shut down Every, two lane or, sorry two sides of the highway all lanes going either direction is your wife um, with you no <laughs> she had to work she has a job <laughs> this is great so this so, is like the 2021 yeah. equivalent of hunter s thompson is you going to a casino alone but not going yes. to the casino because it's three more miles away. Yeah, I have a, a thing of edibles and a thing of Adderall, and uh, and this is this is as wild as it gets, baby. So you're <laughs> I'm alone. I'm gonna go to a round table pizza. <laughs> you're alone. Yes, I'm all by myself. I love I'm all by myself. Say I'm right all now. by myself. <laughs> okay, so when when did you get there? Uh, yesterday around maybe five thirty. Okay, what did you plan on doing? Um, I I I didn't find out about the casino part until after I booked it. Sure. So initially, I considered, or my the the idea was like, oh, I'll just go hang out at a casino and and like 
a lot some money for this and then uh, that'll be it a little two-day casino vacation mm -hmm. and then when i found that out that it's not attached to it and i'm not really uh, super pumped about driving to a casino. Uh, I'm I, I'm just going to use this to write. I'm just going to have it be oh, a, lo cool. a little personal writer's retreat. That's cool. But let's say the writer's retreat doesn't happen. Let's get the facts straight. You're a conservative <laughs> yeah, sure. gambler at best. And you went to a casino alone. Mm -hmm. And you don't know anyone there. Yes. So even if the casino was attached to the hotel, what do you think you'd be doing? I would probably be in the Kino room if they have one. Okay. And and just like sitting and, and like drinking free beer and looking at my phone and playing a, just enough games of Kino to not get kicked out of a casino. <laughs> it's How probably much... and then every once in a while I'd go to like a maybe the thing is is this is this casino is the closest one to LA. Mm -hmm. And so they know that that is that there's no other game in town. They're the closest one. So their games of blackjack are 25 bucks a hand. Okay. Uh, it's absolutely not a sustainable thing to do. So I'm, I'll avoid that. I'll probably, I mean, this is, it might be one of those casinos where it's like, you just can't win. <laughs> yeah. Like a casino. It could very well be. Yeah. Okay, so really quick, uh, so we'll what's see. the name of the hotel you're in? It's Bear Springs Hotel. Bear Springs. Okay. And what's the name of the casino? The San Manuel Casino. San Manuel. Okay. Oh, it's an Indian and Bingo Casino. Yeah. Okay, it's an um, $8.32 Uber from your hotel to the casino. Is that, that That's going to cut into my winnings. <laughs> <laughs> I Can you believe they gave me a free room? How did that? I don't even know why. Because they gave you a Wednesday to Thursday night room? Yeah, sure, but like, I don't know. They've been. It seems like I've maybe spent a hundred dollars at this casino once. Okay, so here's why I even am here. I went with my buddy, um, Colin Crawford. You know, you know Colin. He's been on mm -hmm. your show, right? He, Love Colin. Uh, he and I, we, uh, he had just like come to L.A. and I hadn't seen him in ages and hung out with him in ages. And and the movie um, Cats just came out. Okay, so this and, is December of 2019. Yeah. Yeah. And so we, we had both seen Cats, and we were fascinated, as everyone was. And we got this uh, fun, wild idea to just be like, let's drive to Vegas, uh, write Cats 2, and then once we finish that, treat ourselves with like a round of, of gambling. Um, so it was like going to be, you know, maybe a couple nights, open-ended-ish uh, trip to Vegas to write Cats 2. Um and then on the way there, there was like a snowstorm and the only road into Nevada was fully blocked. It was, I would say, literally 20 miles of cars on one road fully at a standstill. Uh, we could not get through. We waited in the car for eight hours, I think. <laughs> we were in, in like I've, I've got a Jeep, but we were in this Jeep for eight hours. The only thing that was keeping us sane was oh, that really I brought quick, my computer. Really quick, really uh, quick. What's oh, the yeah. license plate on the Jeep? I'm Borat. Okay, wow. continue. Yeah, that's, <laughs> uh, this is you know a little a little flavor to the story. <laughs> uh, so we're, the only thing that we we were just like sitting there for eight hours in this car, and I we were watching episodes of um, Detroiters on my computer that I just happened to have saved. So we watched like a, a, a season of Detroiters. Great show, highly recommended. Um, and then. They were not, they're not going to open the road. So we just 
angrily it like god who knows uh, maybe probably one in the morning mm-hmm. uh d- turned around just hopped the divide because i got that sick i'm borat four-wheel drive <laughs> and then just drove back and then we're like we are just whatever is the closest thing we are going to angrily gamble at that casino at two in the morning so we drove back found a casino uh the san manuel casino and then probably for the next three hours very like angrily gambled <laughs> and you won and then went, and then went home um but, i did not that 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 uh trip i don't i think i probably lost okay. some money um i know this you know it's that sounds awesome to me <laughs> as someone that has a kid now and uh my last 15 months has been great unlike a lot uh <laughs> No spending, wild casino trips. <laughs> spending like eight hours in an SU in a Jeep, not having to worry about my kids' livelihood, and like ending up at an Indian casino gambling angrily sounds fucking awesome. I mean, it was at the time, you know, we were angry, but oh, sure, in, sure, in sure. retrospect, it's a it's a fun memory. Yeah. So okay, <laughs> so that's how they have your info. That's how the casino yeah. slash not hotel casino has your info because you gambled there like seventeen months ago. Yes. Cool. And they won't stop sending me stuff. Um, they, yeah, they, I, they send me promotions for like I could get a uh, like a, a La Crusette cookware uh, something nice. or another, you know. And I was like, I'm gonna go back and get that. And this is like mid COVID, like yeah. at the height of everything. And then I was like, Yeah, I'm gonna get this. I'm gonna get this cookware. <laughs> and then you read the fine print, and it's all BS, man. It's all. <laughs> so what's the fine print on this day? Well, it's like, oh, for this one, it's it's nothing. It's just a free hotel room, and that's that. Okay. Pretty great. Um, no obligation to do anything or whatever. Any vouchers um, for the casino or food or anything like that? No, nothing like that. I've I've got uh, just the room, and I'd ha- yeah. Did you bring your own food? I brought a turkey sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's I great. did bring one turkey sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> so you're hungry. I, I last night I went to a round table pizza. You ever been to a round table pizza? I have pizza? not. This is the second time you've mentioned it. Why should I know round table pizza? It's a, a apparently a growing uh franchise of pizza restaurants. Be on the lookout for round table pizza. Party. Okay. Uh they have a they have a small game room. It's not not nothing great. Did and, you gamble? They, no. There's okay. and by game room I mean I think it's like a knockoff like bad version of skee ball. And then, like nice. two like bad arcade games. Uh, what does your wife think of this excursion? Very supportive. Because uh, she wants alone you know. time. Yeah, it's it's been a you know a stretch of us just sharing a small apartment. Yeah, and uh, any alone time is great. You know. So one of the things I've wanted to do for a while is say yes to every single thing on the local neighborhood listserv. That's a great idea. But the problem is I'm going to end up with like a house full of building equipment and I just can't take that many bricks or patio blocks or couches and stuff like that. But I feel like you can do that when it comes to experiences because of your um, your stable home life and lack of child. My, my childless uh, life with a... But also your a, life isn't sad. Beyond patient support. Yeah, my, my, my wife is the most patient woman yeah. perhaps on planet Earth. So you're like the perfect t- test subject to take on literally every single thing that's offered to you within reason. 
So, yeah, I, I feel like that's a, you know, even a responsibility to make sure that, that those experiences go experience. Yeah. So now that the pandemic is wrapping up and uh, you're willing to drive four and a half hours to a casino and never gamble, is there anything else in your life similar to this that you're looking forward to? Um, I mean, I maybe I'll do this exact same thing in July when I get another free hotel room voucher. Yes. Uh, that it might be like if they keep sending them, which they are, this could very well be my monthly, uh, you know, my what if that's the movie or trip. the sitcom? Yeah, this, yeah, this could be it, right? Yeah, this is you're just waiting for Godot, but Godot's only three miles away at a casino. I could, I gotta keep, I think if I keep up a regular, uh, you know, run of doing this monthly or whatever, yeah. It could be what uh, the uh, the terminal, but only with two days at a time, and it's at a casino. Would you, could you do something relatively successful, but have all of your mail forwarded to this hotel? Yeah, why not? Right? Cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I could. Do, I, yeah, this is. I, I could stay here. I, I, yeah, I could come back here every month. It's not that. Even if I didn't get it free, it's not that expensive, if you can believe it. <laughs> This is not at all what I expected to talk about, but we're about twelve minutes in. Yeah, well, it's it's it was a it was kind of a last minute thing for me, as well. I'm <laughs> I am not jealous, but I'm happy for you, even if you're not happy. Oh, I'm not unhappy. I mean, it's uh, again, I I got to eat at a, a round table pizza, and uh, <laughs> but you're doing all this alone. Yeah, which but makes I think it I, even I've, weirder. It's, it's sad but to be alone like that. But I I do I don't think it's like especially sad for me. It's not like this is leaving yeah. Las Vegas only it's Highland, California. And I'm gonna drink myself to death over a weekend or something. It's uh it's yeah, more just like Really quick oh, yeah, Joe, know. it's not the weekend. This is the middle of the week. This is a work week. I have no idea what time or day it is. <laughs> I have no clue. I watched my first NBA game of the season last night, though. It was great. Okay, did you eat the pizza in the pizzeria or in your hotel room? I ate it in, at the pizzeria. Very, very lonely. That's it's weird, weird, man. There's a, a one with me and a small pizza <laughs> and like a screaming kid. Uh, God and damn. I, it's you gotta like live in the experience. You gotta okay, like pizza really. Pizza might be the most perfect delivered food. I know, and I could have done it. I had to get out, man. I had to see the sights. There's a Walmart across the street. I'm going to get some underpants later, I think. Ooh, are you a brand loyal, or do you shop sales, even though Walmart doesn't have sales? I was honestly thinking, and this is getting quite personal, I, I was thinking about breaking my streak of boxer briefs and going full briefs and getting uh, just getting a new a new round. But Kirkland, are you going to go Walmart brand? style briefs or are you gonna go uh oh, i shop for discount so whatever you know <laughs> so you're gonna it, go it home yeah oh boy oh boy with discount underpants <laughs> <laughs> honey what did you do the last few days i ate a single small pizza alone in a pizzeria whilst a baby cried and i got the cheapest underpants possible that i have yet to wash but i have worn i mean so when you say it like that <laughs> i mean it sounds like that would be disappointing to my wife <laughs> But Lord knows if I if I came home with that, she'd be like, "Hell yeah, all right." <laughs> <laughs> Are you happy? 
Yeah, man, I'm 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 living it. That's I'm living awesome. the life right now. This is it. Awesome. There's no there's no disappointment with whatever this uh, this two day stretch is. Man, what a life. I mean, who knows? I, I could I could end up losing everything. We'll see. But um, you know, for now it's pretty great. Call me in a couple days and <laughs> I've I've gambled our entire retirement on a game of craps or something. Are you gonna walk? You've retirement fund? Hell yeah, man. Nice. Are you going to walk to the Walmart or drive? That is the question. I only brought sandals, so I'll probably drive. Oh, that makes sense. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You <laughs> drive a Jeep and you drove it in sandals? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I have <laughs> I have real shoes in the in the back of the car like in a in a bug out bag. Oh, okay. <laughs> I have like an earthquake bag, but I'll tell you, I'm not getting anywhere. After after seeing yesterday, if there's an earthquake in, I'm not leaving LA. It's just I'm just gonna fall in a crack. It's you can't. You're not gonna be able to get out of the city. It's gonna be impossible. Uh, do you even want to talk about you, what you've been writing for the site? I really like it, and I want to say thank you. And um, today's it's piece been, about mustard is yeah, like it's been great. Literally, why I wanted to have this site. Do you wanted to? I know you. You told me you said I'm starting a website so I can read about mustard. <laughs> but it's not a like mustard it's a focus. focus. <laughs> it's like that you don't label it or brand it as a mustard no. site, but every story is going to be about mustard. I thought it was odd, but I love it so much. I love that um, friends of mine are now texting me about baseball perverts from your first piece. I love that. That's great. That's that's baseball perverts are, are where it's at, man. I love that you wrote about a guy who we both knew since childhood, but like I wouldn't have put together. And also you didn't mention this in your piece and I didn't notice it until I was editing your piece, but the the man you wrote about died in April, but his death wasn't revealed until last week. Yeah. Like him and MF doom are the only people I've ever heard of that happening to where it's like, Oh, you know that guy he's been dead for months. Yes. That's wild. I had no idea that that you could do that. And it wasn't. It still isn't like widely reported. It's like buried in the fifth graph or something. It's John Paragon, by the way, or Paragon. I think yeah, Paragon. Paragon. Yeah. Um, he played Genie. And if you've never seen the most recent uh, PBHBO special, it's definitely worth your time. It came out before the movie, the Netflix movie, and it's the Broadway one. And he's great in it. And he's great in the original run of Pee Wee and he's great in UHF. And, and I'm really glad that you wrote that piece. So thank you. Of course. It was one of those where, you know, you don't, you, you would imagine I wasn't thinking about John Paragon. Uh, yeah. You know, like, but I totally was, I'm, I'm in the middle of like writing something with uh, Chris Stevens and we were just like, Oh, you know, who would rule for doing this part? If we ever got to make it is, mm-hmm. Uh, the guy that played Jambi. <laughs> we wow. were like very, it, like very specifically. So we had just like looked him up, you know, maybe three weeks ago. Wow. And we were like looking up stuff about him and uh, like, oh yeah, he rules. He's been in so much cool stuff. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a shame. Yeah, he was he ruled. I'm I'm just filled with gratitude towards you and everyone else that has been writing for the site, and I want to say thank you. Clearly, I'm interested. <laughs> if there's anything that happens in the next. 24 hours that you deem interesting i would love to know about this experience because it's um i'm not trying to steal from david foster Wallace, but it's definitely like a, a fun thing that i'll never do again what you're what you're doing right now and um good luck question mark <laughs> yeah we'll see i'm gonna i'm gonna head off to walmart after this and then uh i'm, I'm gonna yeah we'll see what happens uh, would you consider buying any you're in henderson is that what it's called 
Highland, Highland. California. Is that would what you, you yeah. would you consider buying any Highland uh, merch? If there's any like specific Highland California merch at Walmart to remember your trip, I don't think that exists. Okay. I don't think that, I don't no, think there. You don't want to bring a magnet home for the wife. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I, I mean, if there is any, I mean, like, what would they put on it? I don't know. The route from the <laughs> casino to the hotel. Yeah, it's a picture of a Google Maps uh, shuttle route. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's. <laughs> I can't believe that they have the shuttle and they're allowing people to come for free hotel stays, but they're not using it. We can't use the shuttle legally. Yeah, it's amazing. Well, what are you gonna do? <laughs> I'm gonna hijack this fucking shuttle. <laughs> well, enjoy watching. You're um... taking me to the goddamn San Manuel. <laughs> Enjoy watching your second basketball game of the season tonight. It should be very good. Yeah, over a nice pizza. I think I'm going to repeat dinner. Let's see how it goes. I live like an animal. (laughs) Norman Quarantine has been on the... Quarantine? Quarantine? Oh, no, this is bad. Now I'm saying Norman's name like he's quarantining. His name is Quarantine. I'm not going to say his name again, even though it's an easy name to say. He's a British man. Uh, We talk about... Are you talking about the NHS? That's how British this episode is. Uh, Norm uh, had a vasectomy in his 20s, and he's in his 30s now, and he's very glad he had a vasectomy. And we launched the weekend before Father's Day for a specific reason. This is uh, The magazine is about people roughly Norman in my age, mid to late 30s, give or take a decade or two. And a lot of these people happen to be parents, but I'm also cognizant of the fact that a lot of these people never want to have kids and good for them. And that's why I wanted Norman to write about his vasectomy. So that's what this uh, conversation is about. If you want to read that piece and any of the other pieces, it's in this podcast description. You could also find it on riylmag.com. And once again, uh, wrestling comes up because that's his day job. And we also talk about video games because that is part of the vasectomy piece. And I like talking about video games more than playing them, especially with Norman. Here's a conversation. You had the first piece where I had to ask the writer multiple times, is this, are you sure you want me to run this? Mm. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> I'm always, I'm, I'm always sure, man. Yeah. I wouldn't have written it if I wasn't, uh, but yeah, I mean, I'm grateful that you asked obviously. Well, I don't um, care about you because like, obviously you're comfortable with it because you're writing it, but you, but someone else is like very prominent in it. And it's, I yeah. want to make sure that she gave you permission as well. Yeah, she did. So I wrote it and then I, I mean, she normally proofreads, she proofreads like a lot of my stuff for me oh, anyway. That's nice. Yeah. So she, yeah, she was totally cool with it. And then she, you know, she helped me like sort of tying it up a little bit, but yeah, she was totally cool with it for sure. Um, are you, so your day job involves wrestling. <clears throat> that's right. Are you, ha- is there anything from the pandemic that you're going to hope sticks around? <laughs> Oh, you mean like in, t- in the wrestling world? Yeah, because I was talking to Lolo earlier today because she wrote about indie wrestling specifically, and she mm. hopes that the like long-form development of storylines via different social media platforms just outside the ring could also continue. And that's fine and good, and I, I respect that. But I posit that that had existed already, and we just don't talk about it because it's a Quackenbush thing. <laughs> but like that was sort oh. of the <laughs> foundation of that entire wrestling company. But mm. other than that, like I can't, I can't think of one thing. So what I, I guess I'm asking you is, what will be the silver lining of the pandemic when it comes to wrestling? I mean, there's certainly, yeah. I mean, you're right in the sense that there's there's 
some things that the big, you know, AEW and WWE have adopted that I guess people are like, oh, this is new and they've had to sort of do this because of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. But uh, I mean, there's actually, but like, you're right. There's no reason that they, they couldn't have done that pre-pandemic uh, for some, you know, just some production things. Um, I mean, really, I can't, I can't really think of anything I'm sure there's like a few minor things, but I, off the top of my head, I can't really think of anything because most of it has been, I've, I personally have found for the most part, found it very, very difficult to enjoy wrestling, oh, yeah. uh, for the past, you know, year and a half. So I really enjoyed um, mania specifically night one, which was a very big surprise considering there was a, I think night one had the rain delay. No, say that again. Did night one have the rain delay? Oh yeah, night one had that weird like yeah. forty five minute rain delay. Even yeah, with yeah. the rain delay, in a way, like I, it was great. It was nice to have fans there, even though um, I had recently been vaccinated. But most everyone, I think everyone that was at my house outside watching it was vaccinated or like in the process of it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I can't speak for Florida, but I can say that it didn't appear to be a super spreader event based on the yeah numbers. we didn't get any news yeah we didn't get any sort of like news saying that it was a super spreader event or anything and like the more that we learn so about how this disease cool. spreads and the, the fact that they're outdoors it's very different than what outdoors was a year ago that being said mm -hmm. that was maybe the highlight of the entire pandemic and it was the most return to normalcy yeah i mean if you put yeah if you made me like choose on the spot what was my favorite moment of the pandemic era wrestling it was probably the main event of night one if like off the top of my head, I would just pick that. Um, there's a, probably a couple of eight moments in AEW that I really enjoyed and really liked. Um, and overall, I thought AEW did a really good job of sort of, uh, you know, sort of putting on their shows during the pandemic to the best, like, and, and making them as good as they as they possibly could. But of course, they uh, they very very early said, "Fuck it, uh, we're just going to have people here all the time," yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> because we have like I mean, they they were in a position where they owned their own, you know, they own their own stadium in in Jacksonville. But so. once again, it's outdoors. Yeah, exactly. It's outdoors, and again, no super spreading stuff from that. Like we, I never, I mean, I certainly haven't heard of any, you know, major outbreaks uh, coming from any AEW sh events or anything like that. And I, I guess I'm asking all these questions because to me, they tie directly into the vasectomy piece because. <laughs> You are not, in theory, you are never going to have a kid. Yeah, in, you, yeah, in theory. Yeah. In theory. And mm -hmm. you are writing about a product that is pretty much for children. <laughs> for kids, yeah. For kids. Yet, you don't write for a kid's audience. And no. what's, why do you ever care if it gets better? <laughs> because this is fucked up. Maybe this is like a, a very not racist but like a very so there's like an ist that should be a part of this like child versus not child thing why mm. do you care if you don't have a kid if this ever improves if the workers conditions ever improve because they're all adults does this make sense yeah i kind of see what you're saying i mean i i mean i just care for, i just personally you know enjoy the, the i mean uh the past 18 months excluded for the most part i just enjoy the product i just want it i mean i want i i really get something out of that out of pro wrestling as an art form like i truly mm -hmm. do find it very sort of um nourishing in a way to, to like to watch a, a really enjoyable good pro wrestling event um 
I mean, I would. I mean, there's so many things wrong with the industry that I think need to be rectified. Um, and it does. There are time. There are moments when it is very difficult to um, to sort of to you know be a wrestling fan. Um, I mean, I probably wouldn't if I didn't have to for work. I don't know that I would watch WWE pro uh, programming as much as I do. Mm -hmm um yeah i mean them switching the network to peacock was kind of i mean it was good for a, a myriad of reasons but i felt if, if i'm just if i can sort of justify it by saying i'm paying for peacock you know <laughs> and not paying not giving 10 bucks a month to wwe so um, that makes you feel better as a consumer i guess so yeah i mean i typically do i would say that i do kind of have small um sort of struggles in my mind regarding you know ethical consumption i guess um but but i normally am quite good at i guess rationalizing it and and doing the old you know the sonic the hedgehog meme where there's no such thing as ethical consumption under capitalism <laughs> i just normally just say that mantra to myself and then get on with it but yeah like i say if i didn't have to for work i probably wouldn't watch as much wwe um and then i mean AEW isn't perfect either you know i think that's a big thing in wrestling fandom right now is a lot of people a lot of sort of hardcore a uh AEW fans were very excited that they that there was an alternative to wwe but also i think a more sort of socially conscious alternative to wwe and i mm -hmm. think a lot of people are kind of like resting their laurels on that but it's not it's not quite uh, as as simple as that, you know. There's. Well, hold on, really quick. I mean, How are they more socially conscious? Well, this is it. I mean, I think, I think immediately they just assumed that. Um, I think when, once AEW sprung up, I think immediately people just assumed that because it's not WWE and they're not running shows in Saudi Arabia, um, that there was, you know, that they were generally just going to be a bit more. I guess a bit more progressive as a, as a wrestling promotion. But I mean, as far as I know, they don't, you know, they're still independent. The, the wrestlers, there are still independent contractors mm -hmm. who don't get health insurance through, you know, through the, through the, the company. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, I, there was that story about how before Renee Young parted ways with WWE, Moxley was still getting his health insurance via WWE because he was getting it through Renee Young. That she wasn't got really health a story. That was a question I asked Nick Khan on the opening of AEW Dynamite. That came from you? That came from me. Chris Kelly and I were there. I was covering it for my old publication. Chris Kelly was covering it for the Washington Post. And it was you could watch the video. This is streamed live. So this was the opening you mean, of Dynamite. Um, do you mean do you mean Tony Khan, right? Tony no, Chris Kelly and I yeah, what did I say? You said Nick Khan, who's the uh, oh, WWE president. Sorry, yeah, sorry, yeah. Sorry, I mean, sorry, it's sorry, confusing. Sorry. There's two Khans. <laughs> Tony Khan. Yes, 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 yes. I asked Tony Khan this. I asked the question about unionization. And, uh, sorry, All right. Unionization, about um, health care. Health insurance. Because, yeah. the, I don't know if you remember, but opening night, it was at um, the then Verizon Center, now Capital One Arena in Washington, That's right. DC. Yeah, that's okay. Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what was it? September of 2019, something like that? Yeah, it was sometime in 2019. And... Um, he and Moxley put Omega through a table, mm -hmm. but it was a backstage table. Like in the, the, if you've ever been to a, a stadium, there's like a basketball stadium. There's that level that you can like go in and out of to get to the mm -hmm. floor. It was in yeah. that level of like club section. So we went through a glass table, like, and you can't really, mm -hmm. 
gimmick that i guess yeah i so, remember that right I so i was that. like is this guy insured and <clears throat> this is a streamed live thing so like i'm not breaking news here um he he alluded to yes dean slash john is insured through renee's contract with wwe and kenny is uh insured because he essentially has a, a fake desk job with aew that's right yeah he's like a, a vice president or something yeah. right so that's why a handful of the guys, and I think is when I say guys, I truly just mean the guys are full time insured. Probably Brandy as well, because she's probably yeah. part of the network. But other than her, I don't think any woman. Once again, I have no idea. I, I can't speak to it. Yeah. I could just no, say I what mean, happened it's, it's sing, it, yeah, on that one night in right. 2019, and it was streamed live. So like, yeah, I'm the guy that asked that question. Wow, man! I don't. Well, you deserved some uh, some citations for that. It doesn't matter. Because, Actually, like, now. It's now I scrum. think about it's it, a, I think I remember really that. No different it was, yeah. than, it's really no different than any other time when it's a scrum, and that's what it was. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Then the, yeah that's he right. didn't actually, I mean, um, he broke He broke HIPAA. He made HIPAA violations. You're not supposed to reveal who's in shame. <laughs> that was the biggest story. I won't answer that. That was the biggest story that nobody covered, that Tony Khan violated HIPAA. <laughs> yeah, we should not know how Dean slash John has insurance, but now we do. Thanks. Yeah, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm sure that is no, 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 no longer the case since she's not employed by WWE anymore. But I have no idea. Yeah, I mean, you I have know. no idea what that yeah. severance was like. You have no idea if she was ever employed That's true. by Fox. Yeah, and if Fox mm -hmm. picked that up, like I don't. In, contracts are weird. The end of contracts. She's Canadian. Weird. You never know. She's Canadian, so she, uh, you know, who covered your special? What was the insurance for your? Did, did the insurance oh, company man. cover that? Yeah, the insurance covered it. Um, shit, I can't like remember you're anything us about that. Down the road. Yeah, exactly. I think that. <laughs> no, I can't remember. I remember it being. I I remember. I had, you know there was some copay, but it was pretty decent. And I remember being. I think if it, you know, I remember being pleasantly surprised that it didn't didn't bankrupt me. So yeah, it was. I wonder what was more expensive: one month of the birth control, which you alluded to being more expensive. Or uh, cost prohibitive, mm. expensive, or one vasectomy. Yeah, I think I think in the long run, probably the birth control. Well, yeah, um, and the then the, the, the vasectomy. Talking about one month. Yeah, I mean the vasectomy. I didn't have to pay for all up front either. I definitely paid for it in, in installments. I think. Um, yeah. I also, I think crass, I, but I feel like out of any surgery, you should not pay with a vasectomy in installments. <laughs> well, because they're just going to do a little bit at a time. <laughs> yeah, that's not how vasectomies work, to my knowledge, <laughs> and the way you wrote about it. It's not like come back in a month, we'll tie the next one. Yeah, I'm wondering if I could have gone home and got it on the NHS for free. Yeah, I don't, I, th I I assume they do. They uh, vasectomies are covered by the NHS since go to China. Um, we'll do it for free. Yeah, yeah. Is there anything that you're looking forward to as of right now? We were, we were talking on Thursday, June 24th, 2021. Um, you're in LA, I'm in DC. Mm -hmm. I'd say it's, it's weird to put a percentage on this, but the pandemic is like 75% over here. I yeah. Guess. Yeah. Hopefully for, well, unless this, you know, Delta variant uh, gets ugly, but we'll see. I'm saying 75% because like, yes, every bar and restaurant can open, but they're mm -hmm. struggling to because staffing is an issue or mm -hmm. blank is an issue. Every venue can be at full capacity, but very few are unless they're just DJs because it still takes a long time to route a tour and all that stuff. So, that's when I say when I say seventy five percent. In terms of the numbers, it's more like ninety eight percent over. 
Yeah, that sounds about right. I'll go with that. Okay, so that that being said, what are you looking forward to? Um, I'm very, very looking forward to, really, really looking forward to going to a indie show, uh, like an indie wrestling show. Um, I know GCW is supposed to be running some shows in LA soon. PWG announced their first show since pre-pandemic. So if I can get tickets to that, I'll definitely be going to that. Um, so yeah, definitely looking forward to some indie wrestling. Um, I mean, I'm kind of looking forward to SummerSlam. It's going to be capacity crowd. I, th- uh, you know, I think it's pretty close to sold out. You're not that um, far from Vegas. Are you going to go? I was thinking about it, um, but then so this is the annoying thing, right? So we, um, we, we, we like booked a trip to Vegas in like March, and the hotel room was like it was like forty bucks a night. Oh wow! And the same that exact that exact same room at SummerSlam weekend is like almost 400 bucks a night <laughs> yeah so yeah i mean if i can find if i if i get lucky and find like cheap accommodation then um you know i might go but i'm not i, I i'm not that fast i probably just will enjoy watching it on tv you know mm-hmm. um but yeah an indie show i'm looking forward to going and then concerts you know outside of that i'm looking forward to going to some concerts do you have um, tickets to anything i know you're one of the few people that still like go out like they're still 23 yeah, we got uh, t- we got tickets to Waxahachie is playing in a oh, church nice. in LA, so we got tickets to that, and then also uh, Rustin Kelly, we got tickets to go see him. Uh, so that's the only two tickets we've got so far, but we'll see. Well, like, how many other, other shows there. are there even that you want to see? Like, has is anything on sale that you mm-hmm. want to see? Or is it yeah, there's a couple. Oh wait, we got hold steady tickets too, okay. but that's not till next. That's not so till now 2022. You're showing your age yeah exactly <laughs> yeah um yeah there's a few there's a couple bands like a few bands i like are announcing tours right now but i'm just kind of like you know i'm just sort of you know being a bit but it's sort of holding off on some of them and just you know because i'm wait i don't want to like buy a ticket like just keep buying every oh yeah ticket that becomes available because then you know very quickly we'll run out of money um yeah uh, the kid, your piece ends with you giving a video game system to a kid. Do you know if he's yeah, still man. playing that video game system? Yeah, he came up to me yesterday. Um, I was like, I just got back from Costco yesterday, and he, as I was like carrying groceries into the apartment, he was like, Norman, Norman, and I was like, oh hey man, and he was like, I downloaded uh, GTA Five, <laughs> and I was like, what? How old is <laughs> I was he? like, make sure. He's I I I was somewhere between eight and ten I would say I'm so not positive. That game is too old for him. That's what I said. I was like, make sure your parents know that. I was like, just make sure your parents know that you're playing. Like I presume because he said he like set up his own account and everything. Like his grandma helped him set up his own oh, account geez. and all that stuff. Yeah. So I was just like, make sure your parents know you're playing that. And he was like, he's like, oh, I don't use the guns. I just drive around. And I was like, yeah, okay, mate. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, he's still playing it. He's having a blast uh, like with a game. Accent. I forgot about that. Oh yeah, that was well. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I've been I've had ten years to practice it. You know, that's another thing that I never thought about until right now. Like, is if my kid, if and when my kid ever gets a video game system, it's not like going to be cartridge based. He's going to have the internet, which means there's going to be yeah, he's going to just be able to download stuff. Basically, yeah, that's a bunch of games scary. free as well. God damn it! Yeah, like for, Fortnite is free to play, so you don't even need to like he won't even need to really put in any like card details or anything. Oh, Jesus. It's not about mm. the money. It's about the uh, level of violence. The violence. I'm pretty sure you can put some kind of like protective stuff on there. Um, but this kid got me thinking as well. I was like, GTA, they should just have like a mode, 
like a they should have like a, a, a child safety mode where you can like switch it on and then there's like no guns and no killing and all you can do is drive around you know yeah and play the stupid mini games like i'm surprised i don't know if they have i'm pretty sure they don't have that but they should i know the assassin's creed games have like a um I can't remember what it's called. It's called like a library mode or something where you can just, it's like like history tour. So you can just walk around and like examine all the historic like landmarks and all that stuff and not kill anyone. It's like a good idea or censorship. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. GTA was, it was meant, there's only one way to play that game. (laughs) Yeah, it seems weird. (laughs) Yeah. It's like going to get healthy food at McDonald's, even though like, yeah, McDonald's should offer healthy food because in a lot of places it's the only food and it's good, but like it feels wrong. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I'm sure that's why they haven't like the Rockstar, the developers of GTA, I'm sure that's why they haven't. I'm sure they know that that's an option and they just haven't done it because it's like, no, there's there's a specific way that this game is designed to be played. And if you don't want to play it like that, then go play Super Mario Brothers 3 or something. When you when your neighbor told you your eight year old neighbor told you that they downloaded GTA five, did that make you more confident in your decision to have a vasectomy? <laughs> Actually, now you mention it, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know, man, because I was I've yeah, I think about that a lot about like kids playing violent video games and stuff. Not, well, not a lot, but you know, I'm just yeah, I'm curious about and it how... makes you happy or what. No, I don't know. I'm just curious about the how detrimental it actually is to the to the. I mean, it, it, no, yeah. I mean, they should GTA is definitely too a bit too much because it's not just. There's also like a, a a lot of sort of offensive language and and you know, edgy sort of humor in there that I don't think any kid should you know take to the playground with them. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's definitely some games where it's not. I think. I think they're not quite as bad and kids can play even if you know i don't know but all, ga- all most games have guns and shooting in them now well, so i don't thing, know i didn't this is once again i'm sure my age i'm 38 i didn't really play many video games because like i cared a lot when like mario 3 came out and mm, mm-hmm. didn't really care again and, until sort of goldeneye so there's like a good five-year gap there and even then, yeah. it was just like, oh, this is cool. I see why people like this. But I never even had an N64. At least I don't think I did. And yeah. so by that point, I was just out. And part of me regrets it because, like, clearly the money is there. <laughs> and I am so fascinated by the culture surrounding it. But, like, it's just not my thing. So yeah. I, I, and I've never had a toy gun. Interesting. Yeah, I yeah, don't think like, I ever no, I don't think I ever had it. I had, like, water pistols or whatever. I but I don't think I ever had, like, a toy gun. Yeah. Oh, wow. Huh. So I believe that, like, water guns, I think, are fine but if you're white in America yeah. because, obviously, you could be murdered if you're anyone of color with That's a water true. gun in America. But Absolutely. Um, by the way, I, don't make th- I want to make it clear. I'm not a fan of that. I think that's wrong. Um, yeah. I've also made yeah, it very just... clear that, like, I want all guns melted. Like, I'm, I hate guns. I, I think mm. that they've done more net negative than net positive. So, like, mm-hmm. but I also realize that, like, if I'm, the guy that's like no guns to my kid. He's like, he's going to want more guns even more. So it's this that's, weird. Yeah. Good point. It's this Same weird, with video games, man. Exactly. <laughs> I don't know what to do. I don't think it's a bad thing. It's just like, this is how it's going to be for everything. Yeah. You got like an interesting few years ahead of you, man, in terms of sort of, yeah. Nurturing that, um, his, you know, sort of impulses regarding video games and stuff like mm-hmm. that. It's going to be fun for you to navigate. I think, um, 
yeah but also not fun <laughs> but i mean you're gonna get some you're gonna get a lot of joy out of um you know probably like play you play like some fun you know like mario uh, what's it called mario kart and stuff yeah. like that yeah yeah you've got to get you've got to get a switch when he's a little bit older well we have a one of the modded out not modded out the like rehashed nes snes thing so we have mario oh. kart and we have all that stuff and we could set it up for the projector and like it's fun but we, clearly fun, yeah. he's way too young the only video game <laughs> the only video game he's ever actually seen me play or he tried to play was uh wrestlemania the original nes game oh my gosh <laughs> which is horrible <laughs> yeah um, i know right and i just remember you know it, it always ends with hogan going over and i was like that's actually a good <laughs> life lesson yeah. Hogan always goes over. Hogan always wins in the end. Um, so we, Kelly, me and Kelly have um, young nieces and nephews. And I had that, I got that SNES mini thing as mm -hmm. well. And we played, this was like five years ago. I played Mario, Super Mario Kart, the original Mario Kart with um, our nephew, who was, I think he was like six at the time. And I was surprised by how, how easily he sort of took to that sort of pixel art um retro style mm -hmm. like i thought it, i thought it would break his brain because kids <laughs> are just used to you know like modern uh video sure, games sure, but sure. he yeah but no he handled it pretty well he he sort of took to it really easily i never thought of that that's an interesting take that you thought it would be difficult for him to understand where to me yeah it's like, oh, i was like oh he's going to understand yeah, I was like, he's not going to know what's going on. He's gonna, his brain is gonna break because it's not because it, especially with Mario Kart, where it's like, it's that sort of simulated um, depth of field, like three D effect, where, where it's not actually three D. It's just pixel art, you know. Same with um, Star Fox and those games. So I was like, his brain's gonna melt. But now he just was like, you know, firing red shells and you know fucking me up on the super mario car <laughs> so. well i want to say thank you for writing for the site thank you for uh having a vasectomy and yeah uh, it was a pleasure man i had a lot of fun writing it you know it was one of those things where um this happens with me with a lot of sort of features and stuff that i write where i i can i struggle to get started but then mm -hmm. once i get started then i then i'm i kind of struggle to stop a little bit um yeah so like i i don't know if you saw i wrote a it's the it's the anniversary of CM Punk's pipe bomb in a few days. Mm -hmm. um, I wrote a feature on that, um, which was supposed to be 750 words, and it ended up being 1,200 words. Nice. And I had to struggle to keep it at 1,200 words because, yeah, that was because I mean that's a whole can of worms right there. Um, I, I will as soon as we're done with this, I will read that. And as soon as we're done with this, I'm gonna off mic. I'll tell you what, what we talked about for your next feature that I I hope that you're going to write. And I, I want to say that oh, no matter sure. how long you think your thing is, if it's too long, it's not. Because uh, the longest piece that was submitted for the initial launch of this magazine was 10 pages long, and we cut it down to Oof. five. And Wow. <laughs> so don't ever worry. I 100% love editing and cutting down. It's always easier to chop away than to add more. So go yeah, nuts. Go long. We could always edit. We could always take out. Sweet. Jenny Cavallaro is a funny person. That's how I initially met Jenny. Jenny also happens to be a librarian and specifically works with kids. So when I knew I was doing this, Jenny was the first person I asked to write about children's literature. We've only been around for two weeks, and she's already had two pieces on the site. By the way, I don't know if you guys have noticed, we're only publishing one piece per day, two pieces when it comes to Mondays and Thursday for picks. So seven pieces a week, 
Not a lot of pieces. Jenny's already got two of them, and they're about children's books. We talk a little bit about that, but mostly about never wanting to leave your house. First of all, thank you for being part of this, and uh, what you've been doing is very welcome and nice, and I think it makes the magazine a better magazine. That being said, are you sick and tired of writing about children's books? <laughs> I mean, I think I'm going to switch it up. Yeah. I have, so we had talked about doing a uh, thing for ADA month, mm-hmm. and uh, I think I want to get something like that together. So I'll send you an email with like a uh, detailed proposal. Cool. Yeah. Do you miss, pe- you are a librarian, do you miss seeing people in the library or as people are starting to come to the library, you're starting to miss the worst parts of the pandemic. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I do. I miss being like little kids a lot. Yeah. I'm, you know, I work with kids. And so now they can actually come inside and it's only been for the last couple of weeks, but still like every time I see a child, I'm just like, Oh, <laughs> I'm like, what has your life been like? But you that know, does like not make you life. want to have your own child. Oh, absolutely not. Absolutely okay. Cool. Not. Cool. 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 <laughs> Very happy about that. Um, I do miss working from home now. I was working from home about like for like half the time for the last year, and that was really nice because I like using my lunch break to take a nap, and I don't get to do that anymore. So, you know, we can't have it all, I guess. It took you till the end of the pandemic to realize you can't have it all. Um, I mean, I'm still in denial about some aspects of not having it all, but. Um, the napping aspects I'm learning to accept. I'm just never going to get as much sleep as I want to. How much sleep I'm do you want? Dead. I want 12 hours of sleep at night. Okay. And that is not realistic for the way I live my life. <laughs> so, but that's what my body wants. It wants to sleep for 12 hours. What time do you tend to go to bed? See, I probably don't go to sleep till like midnight. Um, and regardless like eight of, hours of sleep. regardless of when if, if you're going up to perform you still don't mm-hmm. go to sleep until midnight yeah like i can be home from 6 30 p.m on and i still don't like i'm physically in bed earlier but i don't go to sleep until midnight generally so about 30 seconds ago you said your body wants 12 hours are you it sure <laughs> i <laughs> yes, because once I am asleep, I am aggressively into being asleep. Uh, however, here's the thing. I contain multitudes. <laughs> and although I want to sleep, I also love to stay up. Um, so like many people, I don't always do things to serve my own best interests. And then I still have to get out of bed. So, you know, like tomorrow is Saturday. We're recording this on a Friday. I'm going to sleep till probably 12 o'clock, regardless of when I go to bed. And that is just the life I've chosen for myself and the life that I can choose as someone who doesn't have children. (laughs) What are your thoughts on the most recent single from the most recent Bob Dylan album, I Contain Multitudes? I have no thoughts about that. It's really good. (laughs) Okay. I believe you. Um, Uh, I think, you know, at his age, he does. So (laughs) it's accurate. He's lived a lot of different lives. That's true. Do you hope that you could ever become a night librarian? Is that a thing? (laughs) 
um, an all-night library? No, yeah. that actually sounds terrible. Because as much as I love to stay up late, I like to be at home. Um, like, I do stand up in the evenings and stuff, but a lot of times, you know, that doesn't go, like, super late. Um, like, you might be out till 10 or something. But I just, yeah, I like to be at home. I just like to stay awake and do my little activities, which are mostly, at this point, staring at my phone. So. Haywood Turnipsey Jr.'s name is on this episode because he's part of this episode. He's also part of Recommend If You'd Like. He wrote about being a father. He also wrote about how to celebrate Father's Day because, I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing, he's got uh, children whose birthdays all fall within like a month-long arc of month-long arc, a month of Father's Day in addition to uh, other people's birthdays and the solstice and Juneteenth. So there's like eight different days in like a two-week period the turnip seats could be celebrating, but uh, they've condensed it into one, a celebration to end them all. And that's what the piece is about, and I'm really glad he wrote it. And because he wrote about fatherhood, we discuss how it is and what he was doing the day I initially asked him to record this. And uh, Haywood's a very good dad, and I'm glad he's on the site. And there's also a part about uh, performing stand-up. Because like I said, Haywood has been part of the show for a very, very long time. And we're finally getting back on stage together after nearly 500 days apart due to the pandemic on Friday, July 2nd, 2021 at the Wonderland Ballroom. Here's Haywood Turnipsey Jr. and me. I want to start with, <laughs> I am incredibly grateful that you were part of this thing since the first day we did anything. So first off, thank you. Oh, no worries. Thank Num you for having me. Number two, I asked you to do this yesterday, but you were busy being a dad. What were you doing yesterday? <laughs> uh, took the kids to the zoo um, for my son. My son's birthday was, Askia's birthday was Monday, mm -hmm. solstice, right? June 21st. Mm -hmm. um, but we went to Sky Zone, so we went to the zoo yesterday. And then we also had a baseball tournament that we were a part of. You are a good person for the world, but you're a good person for me to have in my life because you're setting a good example of how to be a father. Because in addition, really quick though, really quick, in addition to doing all that really good dad stuff, what did you do last night? Oh, I hosted at the Improv for Nori Davis. Okay, so you're still following your dreams while setting yes. a good example for your children during the day and at night. As best I can. <laughs> That's important. <laughs> it is it is it is you gotta have that's what they ask that's what baseball is you know yeah a, but a that's dream. not a lot of parents it's either it, i shouldn't say a lot just because it wasn't my experience growing up doesn't make it not the norm but mm. it seems for a lot of people it's one or the other sometimes mm -hmm. neither <laughs> where, they're, <laughs> where they're not following their dreams and they're a bad parent <laughs> but very true <laughs> but you're doing it in a way where it's not sad. Ah, I hear what you're saying. Yeah, I don't think you have to sacrifice your dream for your family, and I don't think you have to. Sa I don't think you have to sacrifice one for the other. I don't. I think they have to coexist. In, in, from my perspective, they have because they're both a part of very much who I am. You know, I love being a parent. I love being a husband. I love being a dad. I like being Haywood. Did you ever think? I said that. <laughs> did you ever think before you had your first kid, maybe I shouldn't do stand up anymore? No, uh-uh. Okay. No. no. Actually, when we, um, that was, so when I was, that's how I kind of got pushed into stand-up even more. Mm -hmm. 
when Aski was born, this is um, um, my wife and I oldest, we have an older kid. Mm-hmm. So Khalil was already around. My wife had a son when we met, um, my stepson, Khalil. So I was parenting or co-parenting in that, tri-parenting in that per- aspect. So when um, our child together, Khalil, I mean, Askia was born, it was kind of just like, hey, is this something you really want to do? And then you know the story, I, I got laid off at work and she was like, well, instead of trying to find daycare, do you mind watching him while I go start my business? And these things kind of meshed and worked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Serendipity, right? Let's say you didn't start, let's say you didn't get laid off until the pandemic. Mm. Mm. And mm. at this point, you have multiple kids. Mm-hmm. Would you have started it at the, your current age, getting out of the pandemic? It? It's comedy. Oh, that's a very good question. Prob- if it was something I really wanted to do, then, mm-hmm. yeah, okay, I'll see what you're saying. I see, I see the question. If I had gotten laid off during the pandemic, would I have gone to a comedy? I, that's, a, that's a strange question because I don't know how it would have opened up. Yeah. But I, I wouldn't mind starting now. I wouldn't I wouldn't have a problem with it. I think it's easier now in D.C. than it was when I started. You, you know what it was like. I do. I do. Um, but here's the thing. I don't know what it's like now. Yeah. I have yet to go to a show. My show, our show together next week will be my first time in a in a venue mm-hmm. atmosphere but oh, you're wow. doing like stand-up stand-up at the improv really is it a full room i think this is it full it was this weekend was the first time it was the room was uh, no no capacity exactly and i know you've been vaccinated so, for a while and you've been performing yeah. almost throughout the entire thing but like those were outdoor shows man those right. weren't they're not not real shows but like that's no, you're right they're you're not right. the same man it's <laughs> right. not so yeah, yeah. I mean, you're not supposed to hit crickets. Yeah, how, <laughs> literally. How was how was last night? Or was just like it was it the easiest show you've ever done? Because like everyone was happy to be there. Um, so I had a it, it was a, a good part about it was uh, I had a quick glimpse last week when I did the improvs um, comedy kumite. So that gave me a quick look at what an inside crowd is looking like and kind of looking for. So yeah, people are excited. People are happy to be out. And it was that kind of intensity where it was just like, just relax and let them laugh. <laughs> just let them laugh. Because you don't have to, right now, there's not too much you got to do. Yeah, we're all on the same page. We're all trying to figure out how we're surviving this thing and how things are going to be different for each and every one of us, right? So giving, and you know my material, my material for those who, who don't know, it's kind of, it's, it, I don't want to say it's political, but it's in that realm where it's thought-provoking. Um, so what I've learned during the pandemic is really just to be funny. I really have learned hanging out with the family has helped me tap into funny that I forgot. And I, it's weird. You know, you do something so much, you like, you start getting into the mechanics of it and the this and the that of it. But the funny, I was, I, I might've been losing it. I don't know. I really don't know. But I know when being with the kids and, uh, and my wife and, and the family and kind of just being with these people helped me go, Oh yeah, it's, it's all this other stuff. Like I started studying, you know, my, my, my soul and, some Chaplin and some Buster Keaton and Stephen Fetching because it's you know the physicality of it. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, it's, it's it is it is different. I don't want to say it's easier, but it's just like it was. That's like it was really like oh, welcome back. Okay. <laughs> so it, I mean, you have four more welcome shows back. over For the, the next... first time because I really yeah because I have... haven't hosted there before. I've I've been on the Improv, but mm, I haven't hosted there before. Okay, so okay. for me, it was like welcome back for the first time. Yeah. So it's really just finding my legs in that realm and. Um, and 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 learning learning that aspect of it too. If I'm correct, DC Public Schools wrapped yesterday. Is that right? 
or something like that? DC, yeah, I think DCPS wrapped sometime this week. Okay. My kids are out, have been out since the 15th, though. Okay. How's that going? It's it's cool. For, I mean, we they start camping another two weeks. Got it. Um, so my daughter starts camp next week. And they actually get to go. It's not virtual. So oh, I think nice. it's going to be fun for them, you know. That's the part that, that that's exciting. That that was the part that they missed, you know, being around other oh, yeah. children and really, you know, the nuances of growing up, right? <laughs> now that you are, I'm assuming your wife is vaxxed. I know you're vaxxed and mm-hmm. I know you're performing. I know the kids are going back to school. Is there anything that you hope continues virtually? Yeah. I mean, I okay. think I like the asynchronous learning. I like because our kids weren't doing that. So that's one day a week where they get to kind of study on their own Mm -hmm. so you get to see where they are and also push them where they need to i shouldn't say push them point them in the direction that they need to be so it's kids i don't i don't want to have to do work today but this is what's going to help you in class tomorrow so if you don't do it today you're only going to be behind and they get to see that seeing that is the most important part you know when we when we grow up we don't get to see some of the things that folks start telling us that we should you know why we should be responsible for ourselves but being able to see it really helps. So I hope that continues. And then certain courses, um, like I was even teaching an art and comedy course. Oh, so cool. I think those electives and being able to reach out to different groups now, since we have this, more schools are getting ready for this virtual platform and this distance learning. So let's really work these angles and work these things and see. Um, let's do it, you know, partner, sister, brother school or schools, you know, from across the globe mm-hmm. with the school here. And, you know, how does that work? You know, that kind of stuff. Uh, final question. Did anybody get really drunk last night because they don't know how to behave anymore at the <laughs> yeah, comedy club? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the way I got blasted, but people have fun. It was one guy's his last weekend in town. And it, like he's been here since the pandemic began. He's a teacher. So the joke that I made um, about teachers and the Zoom and all that stuff, he really dug and we talked it out and he had a, he was having a great time and he was he was nice. I would say he was nice. <laughs> Did he get thrown out? I'm sorry, what'd you say? Did he get thrown out? No, no, nobody got thrown out. Oh, man. Good. Everybody was well, everybody was well behaved. That's what's really different now. The the stuff that people the pandemic, well we already know, right? A lot of a lot happened during this pandemic, mm-hmm. right? got to see a panoramic picture of society in and of itself so the jokes that people are responding to are things that people weren't responding to before so um and my material where skirts those lines they're like oh i see what you're saying and they Mm -hmm. get it and they're getting it so people were really well behaved really in tune and really like oh you know it was funny the looks on their faces like oh i hope they doesn't mess with me but please mess with me and i'm like (laughs) this isn't this a Zoom meeting. You got pants on. Let's go. Let's, <laughs> let's have some fun. So that was the part, really getting people back into, yes, you can laugh out loud. Mm-hmm. Um, are we, and I asked, I asked the question, are we vaccinated? Of course, we know there are probably a few liars in the building. Chuckle, <laughs> chuckle. <laughs> but, you know, hopefully we're, um, you know, on this, we're, we're on the survival side of this. So as we start putting the pieces back together, that's hopefully what we can do as comedians, help provide that, um, that laughter and that escapism, you know, while people do those things. And, you know, even a little bit of, you know, that levity. And then maybe even a little bit of insight on why we should be doing those Mary Beth McAndrews is a very, very talented horror film writer. I've known Mary Beth for eight years, but she wasn't in this specific orbit of mine until now. I'm pretty sure this is the first time she's been on You, Me, Them, Everybody. And I'm very much looking forward to her writing more about horror and film as a whole. 
on recommend if you'd like. Her first piece was about A Quiet Place 2 and Fashion at the End of the World. And regardless of your levels of horror comfort, it's worth your read. Here's Mary Beth. I want to thank you. I was very grateful because, like, I think eight out of the nine people I wanted on day one were available. You were available, and I really love what you wrote. And I, I hope that you'll continue to write for us. <laughs> I, I plan on it. Good party. Did <laughs> that's you? It, that's the recording. The I'm end. Did you see the Quiet Place two in the theater? I did. It was the first movie that I saw in a theater in over a year and a half. Like, po- it was like my first post well not even post pandemic but kind of post pandemic movie in the theater did you did it feel normal at at any point yeah so it it did actually um it did when maria menudo said thanks for watching movie let like get excited for your movie and like the trailer started rolling and i was just like wow the movies are here and then i had to like i kept taking my mask on and off to eat popcorn because i I felt bad. There weren't that many people around me, but I still felt weird not having my mask on in a movie theater. Yeah. But yeah, it felt normal with the previews. Yeah. That great. makes a lot of sense. Uh, did you, <laughs> did you, what do you remember the, the mask you were wearing? Was it easy to breathe through or was it an N95? It was like, it was an old Navy mask. Okay. I think it was my, my pink, pinkish red one. And it was fine to breathe through. Okay. Uh, I kept putting my drink up to my mouth because I thought it, I just forgot I had a mask on. Mm-hmm. So I kept, thankfully, no one could see me shoving a straw into my oh, mask, yeah. looking like a total idiot. Um, but yeah, it was fine. Do you see, is there any irony in seeing A Quiet Place 2 as the first movie back at the end of a pandemic? Yes, I couldn't stop thinking about it. Okay. Because there's okay. an entire section of it that is about like the pre- the pre-invasion of the creatures and it's really just had a lot more terrifying context with the pandemic in mind yeah now you are kind enough to be part of our uh launch party thing where we is essentially just me and a bunch of writers hanging out playing music we want to listen to that's a launch party to me (laughs) so thank you for doing that and watching wwe i learned a lot about the royal rumble yeah you know who's part of the fucking wwe family who maria menounos Shut the fuck up. Are you serious? As soon as we're done recording, I'll send you the link. Yeah, she actually wrestled at a WrestleMania. Um, (laughs) It was really bad because she tried so hard and she's wonderful and she's pretty beloved by the WWE fans and everything because she's like a legit fan. But um, her makeup or somebody else's makeup rubbed off and she was wearing all white. So like about three minutes into the (gasps) five-minute match, just like, yeah, it looks like you shit your pants. But you didn't. We all know you didn't. (laughs) But here we are. She's great. Uh, Um, I love that this magazine is, is writing about stuff that I think is interesting and good, but I don't necessarily care about because (laughs) horror to me as a genre is something I respect. And it's not that dissimilar to video games where I respect it, but I don't completely understand the appeal, but that doesn't mean I don't Uh want to know more about it. Does that make sense? Yeah. I feel like I know a lot of people like that. Like I have a group of, I have like, I know of a subset of subset of friends who are like not all friends with each other, which is so funny, but they want to know about horror movies, but don't want to watch them. So they'll Google the entire plot on Wikipedia and read it. So they know what happens, but they don't have to watch it. It's probably a little bit different than you, but it's funny. My friends who are not interested in the genre still want to be involved in like the zeitgeist of 
the films, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I think that there's something inherently interesting about horror, but I can't tell you what that is. And it's not like want- I won't watch a good film. I will watch pretty much anything. I just, from a young age, like, I didn't care about slasher stuff. And this is, it might be as pure, not as pure, but it's just like as dumb as, like, when I was 12 and got in utero and how that changed my life. <laughs> because <laughs> I was like, no, this is completely serious. I was, like, the starting quarterback and, like, really good at sports. And then I quit all sports to play in bands because I was like, there are no creeps in bands. And Nirvana. Wait, are you serious? 100%. And Nirvana, and because I did all the research, like, I read uh, the Michael Azared book, uh like as soon as I could in, a, in like seventh grade and that made me learn about uh, their shows that they did for Bosnian rape victims and that made me learn about their Tori Amos covering them and rain and so I became a rape victim advocate and blah 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 I think wow. all of that oh yeah I have a women's studies degree I think all of that is why I didn't really like slasher films because it's like this is just exploitation fuck that even though Very I know interesting even though I know that like something could be both exploitative and progressive at the exact same time. And it's, it's sometimes it's hard to square that circle, but it is possible. And I get that. But I think because at the formative age, it didn't do anything for me. Now that my brain is done, now that I'm past 25, I don't care to revisit X, Y, and Z when it comes to these like cultural, not blind spots, but just like cultural dismissives, be it horror films or video games. Does that make sense? Yeah, 100%. So, all that being said, it it seems like in the last 25 years, the genre as a whole has gotten a hell of a lot better. Yeah, I, I'm pausing because I'm currently... I have a podcast with one of a good friend of mine who I yes. met on Twitter called Scarred for Life. And I, for a long time, hadn't seen a lot of movies from horror history. I was very focused on more contemporary stuff. Mm -hmm. And I was very dismissive of older horror for no other reason than I was like a pretentious asshole teenager who like, didn't think that older horror mattered really quick for the listener. I'm 38 and you are 28, which it, which means that, um, Jesus Christ scream came out when you were like a baby. Yes. And without Scream, I don't think we have what we have now. I would agree with that. Yes. Um, I have a giant Scream poster on my wall looking down on me every day. Do you really? But I think, yes, I do. It's amazing. I love Scream. I, it, it's weird when I find someone who doesn't like Scream. I think I have, I have yet to actually find someone who doesn't really like Scream. Um, but basically, I think horror has been... Really, there's always been really good horror movies, but I think the pivot in like the past, even just like 15 years, has been horror being a lot more thoughtful mm-hmm. and horror, a new generation of filmmakers coming in and trying to make horror more, a little bit more nuanced, a little bit more careful, but not in a way that makes it sanitized like i've seen some amazing horror movies that are gory as fuck they have rape revenge films that are directed by women but they're so different because of the lens of which the director is looking at them through because i really love rape revenge movies for a multitude of reasons um and i studied them in grad school i wrote my master's thesis on them like i'm very fascinated with them but particularly women directed rape revenge films and mm-hmm. that wasn't really a thing until the past 10 15 years so i think there has been a very marked shift in horror towards a more inclusive thoughtful introspective way of addressing the genre sure 
and you clearly are an expert at this. I am not. That being <laughs> said, I think it's because I'm now looking. This is such a bullshit answer. I, I think I'm more looking for escapism. Yet I'm watching okay. more documentaries than ever before, which is the exact opposite. You, you think? <laughs> I was gonna say that's not escapism. <laughs> but maybe I just want to learn about shit that I don't know about. Okay. And that's the escapism. Okay. Maybe that's it. I don't know. It's interesting. I mean, there are some fucking good horror movies that are more like escapism. If you want some of those, Give me also, one. I'm good horror escapism. So I automatically go to Japanese horror movies okay. because. Like, because I think that Japanese horror movies like Pulse or Ringu or Nori the Curse are grounded in very specific cultural moments in Japan. But the Jap Japanese folklore is so different from our own that it feels a little bit like escapism for me. And they have a, the really good use of ghosts and spirits. So it feels both grounded, but also escapism. Oh, that's another thing. I don't believe in anything. Like, I'm a... <laughs> I don't... Oh, that's, yeah. I, well, I, I don't know if this matters, but like a ghost can't scare me if there aren't ghosts. But Casey Affleck could scare me because he's Casey Affleck. Does that make sense? Yes. So you are more scared of the potential of people being monsters instead of the paranormal. Sort of. But I also realize that like there's nothing to be scared of it because I could pass as a monster. And I told you this at Looking Glass, like my and I, I've been saying this for years and I realize it's not funny. But like my favorite scary film is Roger and Me a film about how a union is busted and a company is found. A company essentially is the town and the company leaves and the town crumbles. Like that is, Oh yes. That's real horror. And is that the one where they show the woman getting the rabbit in the backyard? Yeah, And, and then like, there's a follow up. So crazy weird yeah. about that. Yes. Yeah. yes. So that, and like the rabbit's not the scary part. <laughs> the scary no, part no, is 30 years later, what's going on with the pipes and Flint. This all relates. Mm -hmm. So that to me is a really, beautiful horrible scary film yeah and i also think that there are a lot of people now realizing that movies that weren't like in classified in scare quotes as horror are actually very horrifying like have you ever seen threads no threads is basically like what would happen if there was a nuclear bomb that went off in england and it was portrayed like it was actually happening like people thought it was real um, like it was like portrayed like as a news broadcast, mm -hmm. um, and that's really horrifying. Um, I obviously now that I've talked about it, I can't think of any other movies. But there, like documentaries, especially, can be really horrifying. Like some of the scariest things I've seen, I feel like are in documentaries, like The Act of Killing, which mm -hmm. is like really intense. Yeah. But I think the problem that horror runs into is that there's a very specific idea in people's heads about what horror is, in terms of like gore and yeah slashers but i think horror is so much more than that and that's what a lot of what i want to like what i try to do with people who don't like horror because obviously or like aren't interested like i get it but horror is more than just jump scares and machetes and blood there are movies that you could consider horror that you wouldn't see marketed as a horror movie and you know i think the label horror transcends any kind of generic trope label what is one that you wish was considered horror that might get more eyes on it. Um, hold on. It's a tough question. That's a really it's a tough open. question. In the history of film. In the history of film, what have you seen that you wish was recognized more as horror? Hold on, I'm pulling up my letterbox because that's where I like dump all my thoughts and then like leave them there. 
Um, where is it? I just watched something recently that I thought was like, okay. So this is an example of, so have you ever heard of screen life horror or second screen horror? No. It's a new, it's basically like an evolution of found footage where people are, it's all taking place on your computer screen. So oh, okay. Looks, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So like searching, unfriended, there's a movie that came out called Profile. Yes. And that isn't that the isn't, guy? The guy's like trying to find what happened up to his daughter. No, that's searching. I apologize. Profile just came out this year. It's by Timur Timur Bekmabatov, and it's about a woman who is looking into ISIS recruitment, but via social media. Okay. And it's not a horror movie, but I think it does a lot with the idea of horror in a real life scenario when she is like ha- like that kind of weird journalistic ethics and getting like really parasocial relationships that evolve on social media. Plus the very obvious angle of like ISIS enrollment of young white girls in England, but it goes so much deeper than just like that kind of exploitative factor that you'd be worried about in a film like that. Like I was worried it was going to be horrifically exploitative and like, Oh, Middle Eastern men are terrible and like whatever. It doesn't do that. Thank God. But I, that's a movie that I think is a horror movie without having those horror elements. It's a good one. I, it's real, and it just came out recently. So, like, and it's pretty short. And I think it's a really interesting use of the second screen, screen life thing. And it is a movie that I really am glad that I watched on my laptop because it feels mm, more real. That's an interesting point. Yeah. So, like, that movie, the movie Host that came out on Shutter this year, which is definitely a horror movie, it was so much scarier because I watched it on my computer and it's a Zoom screen. So, oh, you wow. feel like you're part of it. And so, it is kind of. You know, they, they show them in movie theaters, but I think they are films that you should watch on your computer, which I think really talks, to, like, speaks to how we're changing how we watch films. Mm-hmm. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. Like, I love me a movie theater, but I also think it's really cool when filmmakers are innovating with how technology is horror, not just in, like, the paranormal sense, but, like, in what we do on the internet and the relationships that we form on the internet. Oh, shit. That, that's what you just said. That's a horror movie to me that was not billed as a horror movie to me. Now I have to look it up. <laughs> And then we're going to end it there. Um, not because Hard Candy? No, Hard Candy is definitely a horror film. Or is that a oh, thriller? Yes. It's considered a thriller, but thriller and horror to me like kind of mean the same thing. Ingrid Goes West. Oh, I still have to see that, but I know I, I've heard a lot about it and how it, she, it is like much more horror than it was marketed as. Yes, it's marketed as a black comedy. And that's not necessarily yes. wrong. Mm-hmm. But it's also like, have you seen We Need to Talk About Kevin? yes i have like is that a horror film i think it's a horror film i agree i watched that recently and like that is i actually i have another podcast where i talked about this and i was like this is more of a horror film than something some of the stuff i've seen recently like this shit is real like this can happen but also is so interesting about the discussion of motherhood and like when monster when monstrosity and motherhood meet in unconventional ways but yes anyway I consider that a horror movie a thousand percent. But I don't know if I would have seen it if it was marketed as a horror film instead of just like, these are two of the best actors alive with an amazing story. Yeah. And the director, Lynn yeah. Ramsey is amazing. Um, she's really good at that with like, we need, um, she also did, uh, you'll, I, you were never really here, which is not a horror movie, mm-hmm. but it has horror aspects. So she's really good at taking the horrors of being alive and being a human and making them into very thoughtful dramas but they have a lot of like horrific elements in them that make them feel like you're watching a horror movie oh another one that is is a comedy but feels like a horror movie is shiva baby i have a baby okay that's a great recommendation because i don't know 
It is a, it's like a dark comedy about a bisexual Jewish woman who goes to sit Shiva and has to go see her whole family and her sugar daddy is there with his wife. And it's not a horror movie, but the tension is like the, the best of any horror film I've ever seen with how tense and like sweaty it makes you. It's on Hulu. Perfect. Highly recommend. And it's short too. I know that's always like a lovely thing when something is short. Finally, the person that I've most likely edited more than anyone else in the world is our final guest, and it's Kaylee Dugan. Kaylee and I used to work together for seven, eight, no, six, more than five years. Kaylee and I have been together in one form or another, so obviously I'm very happy that she's now part of this venture, and you can read her piece and every other piece you heard about on this specific episode in the podcast description and also on riylmag.com. When was the last time you interviewed anyone before you interviewed the director of Searchers? Wow. Um, who I wish I could remember who it was off the top of my head, but I I did interview so consistently. Mm-hmm. Um at my past job that it it probably was early March. Like it was probably fairly recently before the pandemic. Yeah. Did it feel weird? Um, it felt exciting, you know, uh, what's interesting is that like the, like the interviews I've done most recently were job interviews. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so for like a, a year ish, um, not, not a whole year, but for like, you know, months and months, that's, those are the only kind of interviews I was even thinking about. Uh, and that sucks. And they're so bad. Um, and I hate being the interviewee. Uh, so it was kind of like a return to power, you know, like a, <laughs> I felt comfortable in. <laughs> now that you're doing this again, do you think that you're going to view film, television, whatever differently? No, you know, this is something that came up when I started to take film classes in college. Uh, I remember I, the first film class I taught, uh, I took, I think, um, the professor said something along the lines of, you know, this, this class is going to change the way you, you watch a movie. Like you'll never be able to watch a movie the same way again. Uh, and while I don't think he was lying, I think a lot of my classmates walked away from that and, you know, couldn't watch a movie the same way. I've, I've always been able to turn my brain off if I really want to. Okay. <laughs> so no, but it, but it's exciting to have an excuse to think about movies in a different way again, instead of just like, oh, this is a pitch I'm going to think about and then bury away and forget, you yeah. know? Do you take notes when you're watching a film? No, never. Uh, even, it's Even if you're going to interview the director? Yes, even if I'm going to interview the director. I've tried it a couple times, uh, especially back when I was in college, and I would do like a movie reviews or whatever for the student paper. Uh, and I just kind of found it, it didn't work for my process. My notes sucked. Uh, I, it's, especially if you're seeing a movie like in a theater, like you have a, mm-hmm. um, like a press screening or whatever. Um, my notes would suck. I would spend too much time thinking about like, is this an, an important note to make? Uh, and I don't know. I mean, to me, like I wanted it to be as natural as possible because I kind of wanted to embody a person just sitting down to watch a movie and not be in like a critical brain the entire time. When it comes to natural, I think the most unnatural 
type of interview is um, a called roundtable, essentially. So there's like yeah. five to ten reporters on the phone with one subject. I don't think that there's anything that could come from that that's good unless you go mm-hmm. hyper specific and or hyper weird. And that also requires the subject to be game. Does that make sense? 100%. I've never done one of those, but okay. I remember, but I've read them in the past, um, like transcriptions of mm-hmm. roundtable interviews, uh, and they sound like nightmares. Have you ever done one? Yeah, the worst that I ever did, not the worst one, because it's like so stereotypical, is like, there was one with Chris Rock when I was in college, and it was oh, weird. entirely pointless, because you have one of the funniest yeah. individuals in the world just answering the most rote, boring-ass questions. And no, you can't really do a follow-up. And even if you can do a follow-up, every once in a while, a publicist will step in. Right. So there... Did you feel that... Oh, go. sorry, go No, ahead. please go. Oh, I was going to say, did you feel at all like my questions, like it was a competition between you and the other reporters? Like, my questions have to be better. <laughs> kind of. But also, the people that were getting the most questions were the most boring questions because I think that yeah. they were vetted by the publicist because like the way it works is usually chris rock isn't like who's next it's like joe from the agency is like this is chris from the agency this is kaylee from the newspaper go ahead and those are vetted so it's so boring and so bad where at the level that you did with the searchers guy it's like he doesn't care you don't care like you could (laughs) you could say anything you want and and it will be acknowledged does that make sense yeah, and that's you know I really enjoyed specifically interviewing Pacho. He was a he was a great like first interview back um, because he was very chill. Yeah, you know, he even like when it. you're not like strange roundtable situations, sometimes you get on the phone with someone or like hop on a call like a Facetime or whatever, and like like they're never gonna play ball with you. Mm-hmm. You know, like it is not antagonistic, but it's just like closed off from the get go. Um, and he was super low key, very chill, honestly, like answered questions. I, I thought he might kind of bristle, um, about, uh, and was, it, it was a good one. You know, it was, uh, I mean, do you think interviewing is an art, like doing the actual interviewing? I don't know. Uh, I probably listen. Me either, but I started to, I started to go down this sentence and then I was like, now I'm describing it like, you know, <laughs> Well, I have a. Do you have a favorite interviewer? Mm, uh, I mean, I I did an interview with Michael Ian Black, or I asked him about being an interviewer. Oh, so you like Michael and, Ian Black uh, then as an interviewer? I do. I think he's a good interviewer. I mean, okay. you know, you got Ira Glass. You have the class. I mean, like anyone at NPR. You know, there's. I don't know if I have one person that I would listen to any interview they did, no matter who they were interviewing. I used to say Terry Gross was the best, but I think that yeah. her and a lot of other people, this is not a Terry Gross problem, but she went down a rabbit hole with the Trump stuff, which makes the show not as listenable as it was in, say, 2014, but she's still very good. She's still in the mm-hmm. top five. My all-time dude is Mike Royko. So, not sorry, not Mike Royko. would be Studs Terkel. My all-time favorite columnist is Mike Royko. So, these are the guys I still okay. listen to, and I will listen to a circle interview not knowing the subject and and love it because it's clearly it's like larry king but good right larry king famously did no research but uh turkle did a ton of research but there was a reason for every single question and there was a follow-up so it started with like one question and it built in a way where 
even podcasts today, like you don't really hear that going on. Right. 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 There, there's no like story arc to their interview. Yeah. Like but also, sort of but also for the, for the studs thing, it's like, there doesn't have to be a story. It's just, it yeah. could, it, there's not necessarily a huge narrative structure for all this. It's just like, it's great. And specifically like for you, I would recommend him, his interview with Scorsese around the time Taxi Driver was released. Like that's a really great interview oh. that to, like holds up today. That sounds great. That sounds right up my alley, honestly. I, I need to do that. I need to find someone who I think is so good at the game. I'll listen to them no matter, or, or read them no matter who they're interviewing. That should be a personal project of mine. It's also tough because Turco was... Author, you, know? <laughs> you gotta have a favorite interviewer yeah. if you interview. Turco was a... Uh, understood his privilege. And so even though he was a straight white man in America... <laughs> He he never really leaned into that. And in fact, he he leaned into the opposite of that. So like he made sure he had a very disparate range of types of people on the show, which always made it better. So he was also learning as well as the listener, unlike right. most everyone now who specializes in things. And I guess that's what we're trying to do with this thing. It's like I don't want to be doing one thing specifically, which is a probably a bad thing in terms of career but like i don't want to just have a film site i don't want to just have a dating site i just want to have a parenting site i want a magazine that's not necessarily for everyone but if you're yeah, going yeah. to a dinner party these are the things that make the dinner party better does that make sense absolutely uh i that's it's funny you say that that's how i try to frame anything bad that happens in my life now that i've had many bad things happen in my life and that is a brag uh, but you know, if, if like something goes wrong at work or like personally something goes wrong, I always try to frame some, frame it in my mind as like, will this be funny to tell someone in like three months? That's good. You know, like, will I be able to and be like, oh my God, I need to tell you about this crazy thing that happened to me. Um, but I, I do want to ask you, where do you fall on like the preparing, uh, like a crazy person for an interview or not preparing at all? Yeah, I'm. I'm. I go back and forth all the time. I don't think there's a right yeah. answer. Um, because I'm a huge Eels fan, the band, the Eels, okay. and I interviewed uh, E from like Mark Thomas Everett, the the guy. It's similar to Nine Inch Nails, yeah. just one guy. All right, mm -hmm. uh, worst interview I ever did. Worst interview I'd ever did. Also, he sucks as a subject though, so it goes both ways. And I was the most prepared for that. So I, I don't know. Um, I guess. Um, I here's the it, thing. It's not like a balm that soothes all wounds, right? Being no. prepared cannot do so much. I guess just um, my 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 thesis, my uh, preparation is to know a little bit of everything, but not yeah, anything yeah. in depth, and to actively listen so I don't fall into pitfalls. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. What about you? Yeah. I. I definitely lean toward uh, researching and like over researching. But again, this is like a weird competitive thing I have built into my brain with other reporters is that like I'll read like almost every interview someone has ever done or like every interview someone has done in the last like year or something mm -hmm. so that I don't ask a question that has already been asked. What if it's a not well-known subject and the question is a really good question and the answer is a really good yeah, answer? So, so, yeah, exactly. So there are there are a couple instances where, like, obviously you kind of have to set up the audience 
Um, and so there are questions I will let slide, but in general, I try to be like 90% original 10%, you know, setting the scene. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, I, I've had terrible interviews too. And like interviews I really prepared for, I was thinking today, actually, I think one of my least favorite interviews I ever did, uh, was with Joseph Fink, the guy who created welcome to night Vale. Um, and I, I, it wasn't like, you know, we still, we, we published it, mm -hmm. you know, it wasn't so bad that it went into the trash, but I remember being pretty excited for the interview. And while I wasn't like an active welcome to night Vale listener at the time, like I had when it first started mm -hmm. and was into it and our personalities just did not mesh yeah. whatsoever. Yeah. Like he didn't like talking to me and I didn't like talking to him. Yeah. That and happens. <laughs> <laughs> it happens less than i would have thought overall yeah what about you most people i think most people get that like this is a job right and so like you 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 get along to make it work you know you answer you, you try your best um most people want an interview to go well i think yeah, I, I genuinely don't understand why anyone would be against the interviewer even if it's someone that you in theory, hate you think that they're trying to make you sound worse than you are. You say the words, man. You get to pick what you say. This is this is a yeah. wonderful opportunity where other people care about your voice, even if you're like a war criminal. Like you could spin this in a good way. Yeah, I mean, there is a, like I do perceive myself as having more power as the interviewer, but that's not necessarily true. Like that's just something I have to tell myself, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> so that I'm not nervous when I interview someone. Um, but yeah, it's definitely like a, it's a more equal conversation than you would think. Because like you said, you really are in charge of every response you give. Like you don't have to talk about it, something if you don't want to talk about it. Let's close with this. When is the last time you were actually nervous to interview someone? <sighs> I mean, I, I definitely get a little bit of nerves before every interview, okay. but like seriously nervous. Um, I would, oh, probably, I was really nervous about Frankie Arrow from My Chemical Romance because yeah. I'm such a big fan. Uh, <laughs> and also, I mean, you know, sometimes you interview someone and the interview's fine, but you walk away and you're like, I don't like them as a person. Oh, yeah. You oh, know? yeah. I don't respect them as much as I did before. Uh, and because My Chemical Romance is my favorite band, I really didn't want to feel that way. Yeah. I wanted yeah. to leave that interview and be like, that guy ruled. That was so much fun. And I did. He did rule. And it was a lot of fun. Are you afraid to talk to Gerard? Uh, I'm, yes, I, I'm, I'm more afraid to talk to Gerard, uh, but I would do it in a heartbeat. I'd do it right now. All right. Well, let's try to make that happen by the end of the year. Thanks for doing this. That and Jimmy Buffett. Get on that line. Okay, that's it. The first 10 writers for Recommend If You Like. They're all here. I'm glad they're all part of this. Hopefully, they will all keep contributing. Hopefully, you liked at least one of those pieces. If not, hey, you've listened to a lot of a podcast about something you didn't like. Thanks? That's a decision you've made. Good for you. We will be publishing Monday through Friday, one piece per day, recommendations on Monday or Thursday. If you are not yet signed up to our mailing list or follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all that not great stuff. Facebook's weird, man. I hate being on it, but I guess it's a necessary evil. I don't know. I'm shrugging my shoulders. You can't hear that. R-I-Y-L-Mag. R-I-Y-L-Mag.com. 
We have a Patreon account. Every single week, we are giving things to Patreon patrons. In other words, if you donate to us for 10 bucks a month, 20 bucks a month, there's a very high likelihood you will be getting that back in the form of stuff I like. We've given away $25 to the Wonderland Ballroom, $25 to the Royal. We're giving away $34 worth of children's books this week. And next week, we're going to be giving away stuff from Ancho Cidery and Looking Glass Lounge and other good places. Become a patron. I will make it worth your while. I can't promise it, but I could almost promise it. Thank you for listening. We will be doing more of these shows now that the site is live. Our first show back after a very long time, this July 2nd, 2021, at the Wonderland Ballroom. Thank you for listening. You know the URL by now, and if not, it's in the podcast description. Have a wonderful night. Sleep.